children against whooping cough. We'll hear more about that later. And this is an interesting one. Sales of mobility scooters have gone up. But it's not just the elderly or disabled that are buying them. It's lazy people. Should we have mobility scooters on our roads? You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or you can give us a phone call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Imagine that. Lazy people are buying mobility scooters because they're lazy. I've seen them do it. You see someone who's perfectly fine driving a mobility scooter and then they park outside the co-op and they get up, they walk in, get their shopping, put it... Come on now, guys. Those things are... They're they're great in the right hands. Uh, Now, Bedfordshire is set to lose over 100 police officers and 56 police community support officers over the next four, four years. The cuts are part of an operational review to identify cost savings. Our political reporter, Paul Scoynes, has been following the story. Joins me now. Paul, what's the background to this? Well, Ian, uh, the forces across our area are having to save around 20%. So um, it's because of government funding, and that spending review you've just mentioned is going to save around £7 million. But overall, Bedfordshire has to save around £19 million pounds as well. So it's, it's got to spend around, or save around £12 million pounds in addition to that, uh, through a different way, through this comprehensive little snips and uh, cuts of of, uh, of the forces and what we're, one of the things they're doing is sharing more forces between other ones so with um, Hertfordshire and Cambridgeshire they've put together a major crime unit where they did have three right. and they've now got one so those sorts of examples of, yeah. of, of cost cutting is where they're going to make these savings from uh, and the plan the authority are being asked to endorse today will deliver this seven million pound saving yeah, that's right. They're going to have a meeting today, yeah. and they're going to sort of look at the exact ways they're going to do it. That's where we think we're going to find these uh, these fewer police officers. This review is going to see around 100 fewer uh, police officers, 56 fewer PCSOs over the next four years, although the uh, the police are quick to say that this isn't going to affect the front line. Oh, yeah, well, they always say they that. Always of say course, that. It's not going to, don't, don't worry, crime will be, uh, everything will be fine. But it's going to have to affect it if you're getting rid of 100 coppers. Well, they say that they've got some, uh, you know, ad- additional savings that they're going to have to make in the back office. This is always the way they say back office staff will make savings where, you know, in the administrative areas where we have to, uh, you know, we do things a bit uh, fatty, if you like. We have maybe additional call centres that we don't need, that kind mm. of stuff. Um, what they're hoping, though, is that they'll they'll get a lot of those savings through voluntary retirement. Um, but you can't make a police officer redundant. I didn't know that. You can't do it. So what they have to do is is what they're Can saying. You really, is, I did. No. That's interesting. Apparently, they they've, they have, there is a clause though that allows them to uh, in, invoke a, a compulsory retirement for police officers with thirty years pensional service. Right now, that means their most experienced officers yeah. could be going, and a lot are, and we've already seen a lot go. Um, but what we know is that there's a consultation period at the moment with the Federation and the Superintendents Association. That will continue until the middle of next month. So that's when we'll know a little bit more about how many people are going to go. Is this just a headcount reduction? Because I heard that there might be cars going and all kinds of things. Yeah, we don't know how many cars are going to go at the moment. Um, we know that there'll be some uh, savings in uh, places like non-999 calls, so those sort of, uh, the, the, the plans will be deployed from, they've got two hubs, uh, one in Kempston, one in Luton. Everyone's got a hub these days, for goodness, is it? All, all this, have uh, you not hubs. got a hub? No, I've not, I've not got a hub. Oh. Have you got a hub, Paul? Several. Scoinsy's hub? Yes. 
I mean, there were there was one uh, another one in, in in Bedfordshire. They've got rid of t- t- one of those, and, and so there are only two. And um, whether or not we we see a, a great number of vehicles go, I think we'll learn a bit more about that today. But I think the the key is if you live around Kempston or Luton, where the big hubs are at the moment, uh, you probably won't see much difference. But the people who are living in places like Shefford or Central Bedfordshire, they might see might see a little bit longer response time getting to a crime right. as well. The, the thing is, when you implement a plan like this to save money, not everyone's going to be happy. So we're, we're still not really sure about where it's going to go. I'm surprised when they say, though, if 100 coppers are going, which is what we think it's going to be, how can that say that they say that won't affect policing? Surely it has to, doesn't it? That's a lot. Well, I was at, I was at a briefing yesterday with Thames Valley Police, and mm. they have to save even more. They've got to save... Fifty-five million pounds. Wow! Um, and wow! They, yeah, and they say that they've already made savings of thirty-one million. They've done more shared services, so they're sharing more stuff with Hampshire. They've yeah. got a different, you know, they might be uh, sharing the. Um, they've moved their call centre, their response centre, mm. the one not the one that you would, you and I would call if we called nine nine nine, but yeah. the one that dispatches the officers. So right. they've they've kind of centralised those things, and that has led to a fall in headcount. So mm. I think it's through those sort of approaches that we're seeing in not just in the police but we're seeing them in the NHS we're yep. seeing them across the board in in local councils. Those are the where areas where they're going to try and make savings. But the the thing is and I put this to the chief constable of Thames Valley yesterday, where does it stop? You're mm. going to get to a point where you can't trim any more fat off the of the beast. Mm. And she said Sarah Thornton said, "Well, we're okay up to 2015." After that, we don't oh. know what's going to happen. Oh, that's all right then. So, in the right for the next two and a half years. Next oh, brilliant! Thanks very much. But if they if they get a, another order saying we've well, got to save even more money, yeah. then that's where we might see even more p- offices go. But we don't know at the moment. So okay. it'll be interesting to see today whether or not beds. So today are... is the official meeting for, yeah. for Bedfordshire p- Police, and this is when we get the, the actual numbers. We, there's right. a little bit of speculation going on here at the moment. Well, yeah, I think so, and we'll, we'll know a little bit better after nine thirty, which is when the meeting starts. Okay. Which I'm going to go to. But the um, the interesting thing is this authority is the thing that's going to change a little bit when mm. the crime commissioners come in. These police crime commissioners we're going to vote for uh, in November, which we'll hear a bit more about next week. Mm. But, you know, they'll be then setting that agenda a little bit more because yeah. the authority at the moment is a group of people, whereas in November you'll have one person who right. then leads the charge. Not the same as the chief constable who will still be responsible for all the day-to-day policing, mm. but they will set the tone, if you like. They'll set the kind of vision if, uh, alongside the constable. So we, they will have a greater say in okay. what goes. Paul, thank you very much. Nice to see you bright and early this morning. You're, you're a brave man coming in just to, <laughs> to chat to me. It's appreciated. Thank you very much. Paul Scoyne's uh, our political reporter. Uh, well, there you go. Um, we'll be speaking later on in the programme to Peter Conniff from the Bedfordshire Police Authority and Jim Mallon, Chair of Beds Police Federation. This morning, I'm looking for your stories of uh, the experiences with the police, good or bad. 08459 I'm, I'm normally, I'm a pretty big uh, defender of the police. They've, they've, they've normally been pretty good with me. I've had a couple of instances where they've been awful. I did swear at a couple once because they were doing such a poor job. I mean, just a terrible job um, in what could have potentially been a life or death situation. 08459 455 555. And if you're from Bedfordshire, will you notice those cuts? Potentially losing 100 police officers and 56 PCSOs? Seems a lot to me. 81333, start your text, 3CR. 08459 555 555. Shalimar, I can make you feel good. Now, this morning we are talking about mobility scooters, and apparently there is a rise in the number of people who use them 
who don't need them. Because they may be a bit overweight or a bit lazy. Now, is that you? Look, I'm not telling you off or anything. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. If that's you, be brave. Give me a call. 08459 455 555 and say, yeah, and you know what? I've got a mobility scooter. It just makes things a bit easier. 6.15, it's Friday the 28th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. 100 Bedfordshire police officers and 56 community support officers are set to lose their jobs as part of a nationwide cost-cutting measure over the next four years. Pregnant women in the UK will be offered a vaccine against whooping cough from Monday. I did it. I did it. We've been joking about it all morning. I did it. In an effort to protect unborn children from the disease. In sport, the future of McLaren's Lewis Hamilton could become clearer in the next 24 hours. He's been heavily linked with a move to Mercedes, where he would replace Michael Schumacher. Full weather bulletin shortly. And coming up, as we just said, sales of mobility scooters in Luton have gone up this year, including sales to the able-bodied. Is that you? Be honest. If you've got a mobility scooter and you don't really need it, could you get in touch and let me know? 81333, start your text 3CR, or give us a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, who, who would ever try and chat up a dentist or a hygienist? Oh, I can't think of anything more disgusting. 08459 455 555. Here's Christina Train. We're asking the question. Do you use a mobility scooter when you don't really need it? He's a bit lazy. Camilla Brown has tweeted, I won't lie, I've considered it. Really want to speak to someone this morning who does it. You can tweet us as well, at BBC3CR or at Ian Lee, I-A-I-N-L-E-E. Christina Train, Dream of Me. I like that song, it's nice, that. Talking about the weekend, have a guess who I'm meeting on Sunday. Well, I'm, I'm meeting one of my heroes on Sunday. Yeah, Mr. Maker. You say one of my heroes, one of my boys' heroes, but I'm going to meet Mr. Maker, yeah. Ooh, la, 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 Mr. Maker. Ooh, I am a sheep. Yeah, all the parents are going, oh, God, I thought this, this would be our one place free from this. Hey, uh, Nick Coffer's on today between 12 and 3, uh, and Brian Lacey is joining Nick from midday to tell us why he loves chess. Not the musical, the actual game. Uh, and then uh, the, later on in the show, there will be burlesque, which is Chubby Girls in Corsets, I think, isn't it? That's, that's how that is. Pretty much it is. Um, so that's Nick Coffer. Today, from 12, always worth a listen. Uh, it's, it's, it's a cracking listen if you've never tuned in before. I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. Now, this is a story. Sales of mobility scooters in Luton have gone up this year. Balba Chahal runs Smart Mobility in the town. He says sales seem to go up every year. But he's now, and this is the twist, he's now getting inquiries from people who are not disabled. Our reporter, Victoria Cook, went to meet him at his shop. She asked him why mobility scooters were becoming even more popular. The people we deal with buy these out of need and necessity. So what we're in is we we live in a society where we have an ageing population and more and more people want to gain their own independence. The government encourages people to live on their own, to look after themselves, and likewise, they're the people that are coming in buying mobility scooters because they want to interact, they want to socialise with their friends. Who are your customers who come through here and and buy mobility scooters? Predominantly 55 and over, most of them with some form of major medical condition, be it arthritis, be it COPD, be it breathing difficulties, generally with some sort of ailment that prevents them from living a normal life. But are they useful for able-bodied people too? 
able-bodied people are looking you do get certain people that will buy a mobility scooter because they can see that they don't have to pay any road tax it costs pennies to charge um, there's really no legislation that's stopping them from doing it and some of them have a 35 mile range so you know we have got a, a chap that bought one um, in the city of London and he uses it to commute to work and back because it doesn't cost him any road tax he doesn't pay any congestion fee and he doesn't pay anything to park it there have been instances around the UK where people have bought them that shouldn't be using them. You have to remember, at the end of the day, they are classed as a disabled vehicle. And therefore, in order to use them, you would assume that the person has some form of disability. Hence the reason they're called a disabled vehicle. What happens when you buy a mobility scooter from you? When you buy something from us, obviously, we, we want to, to do as much due diligence as we can. We want to make sure that the person's buying it is going to use it responsibly, can use it responsibly, and is able to use it responsibly. So we try to be as cautious as we can. If we feel that someone's not going to benefit from the use or going to have difficulties in using it, we won't sell it to them. Because not only will they injure themselves, but they might injure someone else or something else. And what are the rules around insurance when it comes to mobility scooters? Uh, At the moment, there is no legislation with regards to insurance. It's not compulsory. You can take a mobility scooter away and uh, drive it around uninsured. But the problem there is if you have an accident or an incident, the, the user is personally and publicly liable for any damage they cause to a third party. That's uh, our reporter Victoria Cook talking to Balbacher Hull from Smart Mobility in Luton. Now listen, this is not in any way knocking people who use mobility scooters. For the, the majority of people, they are uh, a godsend. They make life so much easier. My mum used to have one when she was able to drive them, uh, and they were fantastic. Uh, they, you know, they, they give people mobility when otherwise they wouldn't have it. But, and here's the but, there are two buts. Uh, the first one is, if you're, if you've got one just because you're a bit lazy, well, well part of me is, de- is, is really envious of you that you would go and do that. If you have got one because you're a bit lazy, or, let's be honest, you're a bit fat, 08459 455555. I'd, I'd love to know the decision process that you went through. And secondly, should we allow them on the roads? Because some of them are roadworthy, apparently. But I have seen doddery old men driving them down quite busy roads, not on the pavement, actually in the road. That can't be right, can it? 08459 455555. And I'm not, I need to reiterate this, I'm not in any way knocking the vast majority of mobility scooter users because it, 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 it opens up um, lives where otherwise they might, people might be stuck indoors, they might be stuck at home, when a wheelchair just won't do, that mobility scooters can be fantastic. But should they really be allowed on the roads? Shouldn't there be some sort of test to drive them? They should be insured. Those things weigh a ton. They're different from wheelchairs in they're much heavier. You get hit by a mobility scooter, man alive, that bruise is going to be there for a long time. Should we tighten the rules a bit and have a test, an insurance, a licence? 08459 455 555. But you can give us a call. Let us know how it's changed your life. Or maybe you think they are the worst things in the world. They should be banned from shopping centres. They do nothing but cause stress and pain. And I really want, I know this is a long shot this morning, but I really want to speak to someone who has a mobility scooter, who uses a mobility scooter when, let's be honest, you don't actually need it. 08459 455 555. Let's have a quick look at the front pages of the papers. The Guardian. It's the three Billy Goats Gruff this morning. Thank you very much. Giving away kids' uh, stories um, all this week on CD, and I'm loving it, and so is my son. Uh, the Guardian. The front pages. Afghan schools built by British forces to close. Facilities cost UK millions. 
um, and the Ryder Cup kicks off. Oh, and there's a, the pregnant women to be offered whooping cough jab. We'll be talking about that later on. The Daily Telegraph. Um, teachers suspected of abuse given anonymity. Fears new law would keep runaway case secret. And uh, the mother of the teacher who's run off with the 15-year-old girl is, um, is in a tearful plea for him to come back. The Times... Wow, the Times have got one of those fake um, covers this morning, which they often do. But I'm quite happy with it. It's Pete Townsend in full rock mode. Uh, and then it's got the cords. Look at that! Inside it's got the cords to substitute. I can't explain in my generation. Oh, they're going to get played this evening on the ukulele. The real... Uh, his book's coming out at last, by the way. If you're wondering, his book's coming out now. Pete Townsend there. Uh, action on child uh, sex gangs is the front page of the, uh, sto- the uh, Times there. The Independent. Fresh blow for Eurozone as Greece seeks even more help. Um, the Sun. I saw Meghan in Paris. Brits sighting of girl and teacher. Uh, Daily Mirror, Mum is in pieces, come home. Uh, the Daily Express, oh, for goodness sake. The, the, the Express and the Mail. <sighs> it's j- jolly reading. The Express, cancer risk in portion of chips, the Mail. Dementia risk from sleeping tablets. There you go. Don't eat chips, don't take sleeping tablets. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Catherine. Plenty coming up in uh, the next half hour of the show, including more mobility scooters. The Hertfordshire handshake that we spoke about yesterday, did they break the world record? Um, But first, um, we want to talk about Etienne Stop, because a parade is being held in the centre of Bedford uh, to celebrate the success of their gold medalist, Etienne Stop. It's happening tomorrow. Kayaks and canoes from Etienne's Club will be on the river as games makers and torchbearers take to the streets. Councillor Doug McMurdo from Bedford Borough Council can tell us more. Good morning, Doug. Uh, Good morning to you, Ian. Why have you decided to hold this parade tomorrow? Can I be honest, Doug? It feels a a little bit distant from the actual event. Oh, I think you're very accurate in saying that, but it's uh, very uh, well organised in that respect. Quite simply, just getting people together. Etienne himself was very, very busy, mm. um, you know, obviously immediately after the Games, and of course we had the Paralympics after the, the Olympics, so it w- would not have been appropriate to have done it sooner. But uh, then with uh, family holidays, quite honestly, it just didn't allow us to do it sooner. So just trying to tie up diaries, uh, this was the, the, the first time we could get together. How can, how can local people get involved, Doug? What, what's the plan? Well, the, the, the plan is we're going to meet uh, from 12.30 tomorrow afternoon in the Paris Avenue, just close to the Broadway, and basically we're inviting uh, games makers and torchbearers and other Paralympians to come along. Uh, we'll have an open-top bus, uh, which will then uh, take... Uh, a, a route down the high street and then along the embankment and really it's just to celebrate um, Etienne's uh, great uh, success in his uh, C2 uh, canoe slalom uh, with, with Tim Bailey I might add uh, and then what we're doing is we're going to leave the bus and cross over the river to an area in uh, and around the river known as Mill Meadow where we will have a celebration. We're encouraging people to bring a picnic along 
and um, we will then unveil a, a, a plaque uh, to um, remind us going forward of Etienne's success. Hey, Doug, you say you say picnic. What's the weather set to be like tomorrow? Well, I'm always very nervous, but uh, <laughs> I uh, I understand <laughs> that it looks good. Fantastic. So, well, isn't that great? Yeah. It's also been announced this week that Etienne is having um, a white water arena named after him. What, what impact will that have on the town? Well, the, uh, the, 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 the mill uh, weir... Uh, recently we have with the Environment Agency, Viking uh, Kayak Club and obviously the Borough Council, we've uh, brought together a slalom course there and we've got an arrangement to allow the, the Kayak Club to generate white water using the sluices and basically it's going to give a, 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 an ex an extra facility to the club and uh, other paddlers uh, that, that they can create some uh, nice white water. So it's a, an increase in facility to the town, notwithstanding it has been there for a little time, but just by having a gold medal winner in the London 2012, actually having an arena named after them, uh, hopefully just uh, re-emphasises uh, what, what can be done on our beautiful river. Well, excellent stuff. Have a fantastic day tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I, hopefully the weather will hold off and you can have a great time. That's Councillor Doug McMurdo from Bedford Borough Council talking about Etienne Stott's uh, celebration parade being held tomorrow. It's a great uh, tweet about mobility scooters. There's a bloke near Market Square shops, lets his missus sit on his lap while he whizzes around. <laughs> oh, that's romantic, isn't it? Do you use a mobility scooter and you don't really need to? 08459 455 555 or you can text 81333 3. Start uh, your text 3CR. Now, yesterday on breakfast, I shook hands with uh, a member of staff from Hertfordshire University throughout the entire interview. Why? Because I'm crazy! No, because I was helping them warm up for their world record attempt uh, for the longest handshake. The staff and students at the University of Hertfordshire started the chain of handshakes yesterday afternoon at one. How well did they do? Well, the uh, Pro Vice-Chancellor for Student Experience, Andrew Clutterbuck, is on the line. Good morning, Andrew. Hi, good morning, Ian. I've got to ask the question. A, a, a week ago, the world record was something like 600. Then those damned Americans got it up to about 2,000 people shaking hands. Did you manage to break the world record yesterday? Well, the news is we're still waiting to hear from the Guinness World Record adjudicator. But a group of physics students I was standing with did a quick calculation, and they reckon we fell just short. Oh, and they're physics students, so they're going to be good at doing those kind of quick they calculations. They were good at the calculations, they were. How far short do you reckon you were, Andrew? Probably in the region of about um, eight, 900, we reckon. Oh my God, that's not just falling short, that's quite a big shortfall. Yeah, but uh, at the same time, it's still the, the, it's still the longest uh, chain in the UK. Well longest done. Longest chain in the UK. Well done. Dis disappointing. If you just think, if, those, if they hadn't have broken that record last week, you would be world record holders, Andrew. We would indeed. But it was still more than just the record breaking. It was actually about the community coming together, and it had a wonderful feel to it. Did everyone get on? Because shaking, ha uh, shaking hands can, can be an odd experience if you're doing it for too long. Was, it, was, it, was there a nice atmosphere of love and harmony there? Andrew? There was a fantastic atmosphere. The sun was shining. There were the university and its friends there, UK students, international students. There was a real sense of community. And it was the, it's the university's anniversary, isn't it? Birthday. That's right. It's our Diamond Jubilee year, 60 years of higher education in Hertfordshire. Are you going to attempt to break any more records? Because you came so close. You came so close. I know that you can do this. 
Absolutely. Yesterday was the starting point for us. It was such a good experience that we're already asking our students to, to come forward with challenges for the future. We're definitely coming back and we are definitely going to be Guinness World Record. Make, make sure you do. I'm, I'm genuinely sorry to hear that you didn't make it, but best of luck with your next attempt, Andrew. Cheers. Thanks Th- so much, Jim. Thank Have you a good very day. Much. There we go, Andrew Clutterbuck there. Oh, man, the University of Hertfordshire. They were so... Well, let's be honest, they weren't actually that close, were they? Eight or no, a shortfall of eight or nine hundred is... It's quite significant, but they had a blooming good crack at it, and that has to be applauded uh, and saluted. Oh, it'll be—I do like a world record. It'll be nice to have a world record, wouldn't it? It'll be good to be in the Guinness Book of Records and go, "Yeah, I did that." And then your kids go, "Why?" Because the, the, most world records—they're they're, they're sort of pointless, aren't they? I'm reading a, a thing in the the G2. I'm seeing the Beach Boys tonight, and we, we're celebrating. The, if you saw them last night at the Royal Albert Hall in London, could you give me a call? Let me know. Was it any good? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Because I'm seeing them tonight, and we're going to be celebrating the Beach Boys a little bit later on. We've got some. Uh, well, we, we, we've got a little something for the end of the show, so I, I, I thoroughly recommend you stick around for the end. But I'm reading uh, in the uh, the G two uh, this incredible story. Mike Love, the lead singer of them Beach Boys, right? And he owns the name Beach Boys. Right? He, he owns it. So they've all reunited for the first time in 25 years, the surviving members. And they've done this hugely successful world tour, made millions of dollars. And then Mike Lovers just sacked all the other ones. He's just sacked them so that he can tour around in, like, Beach Boys lights, still using the name Beach Boys, and get his son, Christian, to come in and play guitar. And there's a Brian Wilson who wrote all of the songs, all of the music for all of the songs. has uh, kind of issued a statement saying, I'm disappointed and can't understand why he doesn't want to tour with Al, David and me. We're out here having so much fun. <laughs> That's brilliant, isn't it? And at first I was furious with Mike Love, and now I'm kind of thinking, ah, do you know what? That's kind of cool. If you're going to sack people, just do it in a press release without telling them after a hugely successful tour. If you saw the Beach Boys last night at the Royal Albert Hall, fantastic venue to see a band. I once introduced The Who live on stage at the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You didn't know I was cool, did you? You didn't know I was cool. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm cool, man. If you saw them last night, can you give us a call? 08459 455 555. We're going to have a barbershop quartet in at the end of the show, singing uh, some Beach Boys songs, which I am thoroughly looking forward to. It's coming up to 6.45 on Friday, the 28th of September. Uh, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Bedfordshire police officers and 56... Oh, sorry, 100 Bedfordshire police officers and 56 community support officers are set to lose their jobs over the next four years as the result of nationwide cost-saving measures. Pregnant women in the UK will be offered a vaccine against whooping cough from Monday in an effort to protect unborn children from the disease. In sports, John Terry is likely to still be available to play for Chelsea against Arsenal tomorrow, despite being found guilty by the FA of racially abusing QPR's Anton Ferdinand. Today's weather for beds, hearts and bucks. We're in for some patchy light rain around mid-morning, but it will get brighter later. Top temperature, 16 degrees. Coming up on the show, Bedfordshire is set to lose over 100 police officers and 56 police community support officers over the next four years. We'll talk more about the effects of the cuts after seven. Does this worry you? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. There we go, Wilson Pickett. 
in the midnight hour. If you want to give us a call this morning, 08459 455 555. Now, every year on The X Factor, there's always a little bit of controversy and excitement with bands not getting through or being brought back onto the show. On Sunday, you may have seen boy band Triple J, who lost in a battle with GMD3 to get through to the judges' homes. Well, Jamie, Josh and JJ, who made up Triple J, will return this weekend with a cunning twist. Jamie Hensley from the band is from Luton, and his mum, Jackie, is in the studio. Thank you so much for coming in at Silly O'Clock, Jackie. That's OK, Ian. I'm just going to move this mic for a little <laughs> bit closer okay. to you. You were saying you're not a morning person. I'm not, no, not no, at all. I'm not yet. I'm, I'm hoping I will be. This is week three of me getting up at four o'clock and coming in. And you said, oh, I'm surprised how chirpy you, you all are. You sound real chirpy, yeah. It's, it's all caffeine. And I tell you, at nine o'clock, when Jonathan takes over, we collapse in a heat. I'm not surprised. Uh, now, so, listen, I, I'll be honest, I don't watch The X Factor. Oh, I know, no. I know. I think I'm the only person in the country. Now. I do have to now. <laughs> so tell me, t- tell me about your boy and what, what band he was in and, and kind of what the story was so far. Right, so far, Jamie... Um, was in the band last year, went to X Factor. Yep. Um, and got through to Final 50 at boot camp, but they didn't get any further. And then, obviously, after competitions like that, people leave and they reformed, and he's reformed... With how, how old is he? 22. 22. He's already yeah. in a band that's reformed. Fantastic. Yeah, I know. Good it's great, isn't it? Yeah, well done. <laughs> so he's reformed with uh, Josh and JJ, and they became Triple J. Yeah. Um, or about eight weeks before they went, that was all. And um, obviously did really well, got through the competition, got to boot camp, as you all saw. And then last weekend, the terrible sing-off, um, and they weren't chosen. So, so they got they got booted out of the show last week, uh, basically. Yeah, basically, they, they were done. Yeah, that was it. All finished. Um, Dash dreams and all that, you know. So, But they were going to stay together anyway as yeah. a band because they, they've got a manager um, anyway because right. they let managed bands in this year for the first time. Right, so. OK. Yeah. But so. OK, now we have a... There is a cunning twist coming up there and if, if you don't want any spoilers, dear listener, <laughs> I suggest you go and make a nice cup of tea now. Because <laughs> just, just, we don't often say this on the radio but if you don't want to know what happens, turn the radio off. <laughs> right, they've gone. So what's happening this week? Well, the cunning twist is that they got the call... Um, because one of the bands had to leave, um, a band called Rough Copy had what? visa issues. Oh, Rough um, Copy had visa, visa issues. Visa issues sound like a band as well. Yes. yes. Um, and so they got the call from Louis to say, um, OK, are you coming back in the competition? And they obviously jumped at the chance. They went, no, no, we're all right, Louis. Yeah, thanks, no, well, thanks no, very much, fine, but no, we'll no, pass no, on that. We're fine, no. Obviously, they were so excited and yeah. it was fantastic. And they got the call to go back in. Um, and um, the twist is that um, they've added a fourth member. What? Hang on a second. Yes. So they were, they were a trio. Yes. Who, who have they added in? They've added George Shelley. Now, who's George Shelley? I George feel- Shelley um, was at boot camp. Right. Um, got through as a soloist. Yeah. Um, and um, they knew him from boot camp. They yeah. made quite good friends with him at boot camp anyway. Yeah. And, this, um, can I just say, this is the most times boot camp has ever been said know, in any interview I've ever done. Yeah, it's good. I like a bit of boot camp. It's a great word. No. Anyway, so they've... Um, they've de- <laughs> <laughs> you should be on the X Factor. <laughs> Forget your boy. You should be on there, love, doing it. Oh, no, I'm too old. No. Oh. Never too old. Can, can you sing? Yeah, Were you a bit of a singer back in the day? Still do a bit. Really? Of it, yeah. Whereabouts do you do it? Yeah, we do. I do Amdram in Luton. Oh, very yeah. nice. Yeah. Can you give us a tune now? No, oh, okay. not, not this time in the morning. Oh, okay. Not enough caffeine yet. No, I, tell me about <laughs> it. So go on. So sorry, this George Se- Shelley. So character. George has joined them, right? And they are now called Union J. Oh, okay. Because they had to come up with a name sort of pretty quick. Whose idea really. was it for him to join? Was it their idea? Well, was it Louis? it was Louis's idea, right. yeah. Okay. Louis, Louis thought that they stood a better chance um, because obviously 
GMD3, Triple J, very similar. Um, yeah. That was the problem at boot camp. Yeah. There's that word again. Yeah, we go. That was the problem because they were so similar, they couldn't choose between them. So yeah. he's decided to bring them back. He also brought another band back as well. Right. Um, so he took seven with him. How does it How does it work that they got... Because you, you always... I've seen people get called back into the show before. Mm. And they always surprise... But there's a film no, crew in their house. No, it is a surprise. They. But they, was there a film crew there filming them? Um, I don't know. I can't remember. Are you actually <laughs> his mum? Are you some woman who's wandered yeah, off the street? Yeah, no, I'm some woman who's wandered <laughs> off the street. But um, no, it is a surprise. They genuinely, they didn't, genuinely know. didn't know. They okay. were told to keep a date free, and then they were informed. Yeah, okay. and they were told to keep a date free. Obviously. For judges' houses, because X Factor knew they are yeah. what judge. What they asked them was if they would be f- if they were free at this sort of time, right? Um, and obviously they said yeah, because any publicity or filming is good, regardless of whether of you're through the competition or not, because yeah. they're staying together. And they were asked to keep these dates free, and it was kind of a bit of hmm, is there something going on here? But they really do keep it a secret. They do. You don't know. I always thought like you, rubbish. Yeah. No, they they're they, better off as a quartet. Tri- uh, but to male brilliant. trios. The last one was big fun. And they, yeah. they, 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 you remember them? I do. I'm that. They, yeah, me too. Do you remember them? I, do, I, I am, unfortunately. <laughs> but a quartet is, is a better idea for a, they, for a boy band, isn't it? They sound it? brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I have heard them, and they do sound excellent. What do you hope is going to happen to them? What do you want for well, them? Well, I'm hoping they get through, yeah. obviously. Um, but I'm just hoping that they, they enjoy it and they have a good time doing it. And that at the end of the day, they can make a living out of it, really. That's what it's all about. It, it isn't can it? be a poison chalice. It can fact. Be. I tell you why. There's a, there's a lovely little hotel opposite the studio. It's small, but it's lovely. <laughs> I was in there last night. They're advertising Chico Night. Chico Night. Av- I, I, Chico. I, I like Chico. I, I met him. loved he's a, Chico. He's, I he's thought a, he was a fab guy. I met him a couple of times, and he's, he is a delightful gentleman, yeah. but he's playing in tiny little hotels. I know. I know. I think it depends. It depends what happens to you after, and I think it just mm. depends on what you get. Um, hopefully, they've got a really good manager, yeah. so regardless of what happens with X Factor, he's there for them, and um, hopefully, they'll go forward. This George Shelley character, yeah. I'm suspicious he's of him. Lovely. Is he lovely? He's, he's been staying at your house, has he? I have. He has stayed at mine. Yeah, he did stay at mine one night yeah and he's lovely and his mum's lovely and all the mums are lovely and all the families are lovely and we all get on really well can i just ask it's great are they lovely yeah they're lovely okay your boy jamie what's uh he's always been a fan of music hasn't he what's he like yeah he's lovely as well he's lovely (laughs) and he's been to boot camp (laughs) you're mental i'm gonna go home she can just do the rest of the show to be honest no he's 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 a great great guy yeah he is great and uh, so, but he's always been a big fan of music. Oh God, since never he was little. singing. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, just sing, 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 sing all the time. Yeah, used to drive us mad at home. Really? Yeah, yeah. But you don't mind when it's good singing, do you? No, it's exactly. not so bad. We'll have a little bit of that. Yeah. Well, listen, it's very nice to meet you. Thank, Thank you. you very much for for coming. Can you give us any more inside gossip? No. Oh. <laughs> what well, I tell you something. The thing, I've, I've not. I, I watched five minutes because my friend was 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 on there as a contestant. So I watched her doing her, Melanie. Oh, all right. Uh, and. Uh, Louis Walsh's hair. Mm. What's, what's going on there? Because I've no idea. He didn't have much hair before. Him I and think it looks great. Oh, I think. I, well, yeah. it's, I'm not knocking the gentleman. <laughs> Wouldn't knock him at all. But uh, he suddenly got quite a thick head of hair. But doesn't he look lovely? Lovely. There's that word again. You're mental. Get out of my studio. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming Thanks. in. Best of luck to your boy you and the too. rest of the group. Don't I, get to watch. On I, I, the weekend. Will, I will make sure that someone here watches and tells me exactly <laughs> what happens. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much, See Jackie. Ya. See you later. Okay, Take bye. care. There we go. It's uh, Jackie, who is uh, Jamie Hensley's mum, uh, who will be on uh, X Factor a little bit later on, uh, which is uh, always very, very exci- exciting. Uh, mobility scooters. Let's go to Dave in Luton. Morning, Dave. Good morning, Ian. Do, do you use a mobility scooter? 
Um, no, because I've been advised not to have one, or walking stick or back brace. Oh, but really? I've got, I've got osteoarthritis, crumbling spine, oh. and everything else. Right. But I was told by surgeons not never to have one because it weakens the back muscles, and later on in life, it will get worse, and you would land up, well, just laying on a bed. Right, well, we, we wouldn't want that. No. Uh, so, so you you wouldn't get one. Have you seen these? Because um, listen, I think they I think for a lot of people they they do a great service and they make people's lives. You, you know, it gives you so much opportunity to do things that maybe you couldn't do. But have you seen some of these dodgy drivers that use them on the road and they just plough through people? What do you think of those? They're idiots because they're, they're, I, I know one who goes down Park Street in Luton. Yeah. I don't I know him, but I won't say his name. No, but the don't. thing is, he goes down He goes down Park Street. Yeah. He's driving on the road. He don't even stop at the red lights. He goes straight across oh, them. No. Now, the thing is, you know, he hasn't got a licence. If he's not registered disabled, you've got given a number. Yeah. And if you if you drive those mobilities and you haven't got a registration number, you're breaking the law. That's especially being on the road. I'm not sure if that's true. My mum had a mobility scooter. She didn't have a registration number. If that, someone can clarify. Dave, thank you very much. Someone can clarify. 08459 455 555. My, my ambition is by nine o'clock this morning to get someone on the show who says, yeah, do you know what? I've got a mobility scooter. I don't need it. I'm just a bit lazy. I'm just a little bit overweight. 08459 455 555. Now, exciting news, uh, music fans. Justin Dealey is here from 9 o'clock tomorrow with more great songs and great memories. He'll be looking at the UK and American charts from this weekend in 1972, featuring some tracks like this. Always nice to hear a bit of Slade, one of the great overlooked bands of the 70s. Uh, all of that, plus Les McEwen from the Bay City Rollers will be on the show. Justin Dilley from 9 o'clock uh, tomorrow morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, that's the first hour of the show flown by. I wasn't really paying attention. It was 6 o'clock a few minutes ago. Plenty more to come up in the next two hours of the show, so do please stick around. I'll tell you what after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's nearly the weekend. I'm excited. Good weekend. Beach Boys tonight. Going to go and see Looper at the weekend. Film I've been waiting for a long, long time. Hope you've got some good things planned. Coming up in the next hour of the show. Police forces in Bedfordshire could be slashed. How will that affect you? And what are you, what's your experience with the police, good or bad? There's an, uh, now a vaccination to protect unborn children against whooping cough. Hear more later. And sales of mobility scooters have gone up. But it's not just the elderly or disabled that are buying them. Should we have mobility scooters on our roads? And have you or a friend got one? And to be honest, you don't really need it. You're just a bit overweight or a little bit lazy. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or you can give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Now, as you've uh, been hearing this morning, police cuts will affect the three counties. Bedfordshire is set to lose over 100 police officers and 56 police community support officers over the next four years. Well, what's your experience with the local police? Do you think that you'll notice these cuts? It seems quite a lot, doesn't it, in terms of actual bodies? Are you worried about it? No, wait, 459. Four double five, five double five. Today, Bedfordshire Police Authority will meet to decide whether to endorse the proposals for launch in October 2012. Well, joining me now is Peter Conniff, Chair of Bedfordshire Police Authority, and Jim Mallon, Chair of uh, the Bedfordshire Police Federation. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Peter, you're going to be at today's meeting. Uh, many people listening to this will be alarmed to hear police numbers being cut. Is this really the only option? I'm afraid... It is the only option. We're being faced with very severe cuts, as you know, over a four-year period. We're halfway through the second year of that four years. Um, we have to save nearly £20 million during that time. 85% of the police budget is spent on officers and support staff. So really, that has to take, its, I'm afraid, a very big share of that uh, huge cut. But can you, you, you can't deliver the same level of service with less police, can you? What we have shown during the first 18 months of this period of uh, cuts is that we've totally reorganised the way the force operates. Um, during that time, crime rates in Bedfordshire have fallen considerably. They haven't fallen. And I think that's largely to do with, it's not just numbers, it's having the right people in the right place at the right time. We've altered shift patterns considerably so that officers are there when crime is most likely to occur, particularly at the weekends during the night time economy, and that is, um, has certainly shown that even with fewer police officers, we can still be very effective in protecting the people of the children. Can you be as effective, though? Well, of course, that's the challenge. Can we be resilient? We certainly have been in the last 18 months. There's a great appetite for success within the whole of the Bedfordshire police family. The officers work extremely hard. They have had to have shift pattern and changes, but I see no reason why in the future this cannot remain but it will be a challenge for everybody concerned. I know the police officers will be up for that challenge. Well, hang on, but if that's the case, then that means that you're overstaffed at the moment and you're wasting money then. If you can deliver the same level of policing uh, with 100 less officers and 56 less PCSOs, that, then that means that you're overstaffed, doesn't it? I don't think it means we're overstaffed, along with all the other 42 forces across the country. What we've realised is that we do have, or we did have, too many officers n- not on frontline operations, they're in back office, they're in various other functions which can as effectively be done by civilians. And also since we've been collaborating, that's joint working with Cambridgeshire and Hertfordshire that has also enabled us to make a lot of savings. So I am fairly confident that going forward we can maintain this level of success, but it will be very hard work for everybody concerned. Jim, you're chair of the Police Federation. What do you make of these plans? Well, good morning Ian. Good Good morning. Um, I'm a man unconvinced. I hear what Peter's saying about the last 18 months. Of course, what's happened there is the non-police officers have lost their jobs over that 18 months. And I think once these cuts start to bite, we're looking to lose 800 police officers. That's significant, Ian, and and I'll tell you why. Because 48 of those 100 are constables, 20 are sergeants and 16 are inspectors. The bulk of those have got 30 years policing experience. And how can we ever replace that? Uh, you know, even if we start to recruit new officers again, it's going to take some years to recoup all that experience that we'll lose. Um, I, I understand that we are facing a £20 billion funding deficit. 
and to do that and so in order to sort of balance the books I understand why Peter and the Chief Constable were looking to uh, invoke compulsory retirement with officers um, with those of 30 years petrol service that is um, I, I remain unconvinced that we can deliver the same level of service to the public of Bebbershire with losing 100 police officers. Jim, are you worried that, that the public could be at risk with this, these cuts? I believe they will, Ian. And, I, and to give you a broader perspective, I, the police service are, are going to lose 16,000 police officers over the, the next two years. And I think if you consider the riots of London in August 2011, it took 16,000 police officers to, to regain the streets of our capital. You imagine we have that same scenario in another couple of years, and, and, and I, I ask a question, how will we manage to deal with it? Jim, there's, Jim, there's a shortfall, as, as you said, of £20 million. What else can they do? Well, as Peter alluded to, we've done a lot in terms of collaboration with, uh, you know, Hertfordshire and Cambridgeshire, you know, but, but that's came with a cost as well in terms of policing service. For example, uh, we've reduced the number of dogs that are available to, to police and also a reduction in the flying hours of the helicopter. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's an issue with the current coalition governments in terms of their funding. Um, you know, and the question I've asked MPs in the past is, why on earth are you cutting the budgets of the police service? when you're still giving hundreds of millions in overseas aid. It seems to me getting things out of kilter a little bit. Uh, Peter, you, you heard Jim there, the, the, the chair of Bedfordshire Police Federation. He's worried that the public could be at risk with these cuts. Well, I don't accept that, and I think the last 18 months have proved that they aren't at risk. In fact, as I say, crime levels have fallen by a very large percentage over the time so far that these cuts have been made. I accept what he's saying. It will be hard. It'll be hard for everybody. But there is no other way. Basically, can you save that huge amount of money? We don't do this because we want to. We do it because we have to. There's no other way we can save anything like <coughs> amounts of money without affecting the number of officers and support staff employed by Bedfordshire Police. What about his point, Jim, that, 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 Peter, sorry, that, that um, you'll be getting rid of people with the most experience, the inspectors, the detectives, the, the coppers, with the 30 years' experience? That doesn't make sense, does it? One of the problems about that is that if you retain too many people with over 30 years' experience, what you're doing is you're not allowing succession planning of those officers coming through the system in their earlier years. If you don't have new people coming in, then when those 30-plus um, plus year officers resign, then you've got a big skills gap there to fill. It is important to look at succession planning, i.e. people coming through the system who can learn those skills when the older people retire. Jim, your response to that? Well, I disagree with that. So the, what concerns me specifically, Ian, is the, uh, the central Berkshire area and a lack of uh, police coverage. I mean, what's going to happen uh, next Monday, the 1st of October, is we're going to move to two police clubs, so in fact you know, the, all the response teams based at Kempston headquarters and Luton police station um, and then of course they've got to then patrol into the rest of Bedfordshire and my argument would be how on earth are we going to provide a proper service to the, those residents in central Bedfordshire because even allowing for moderate travelling time in a vehicle you look at a 20 minute response time and, and by anybody's benchmark that's unsatisfactory Peter, it makes sense. Villages like Shefford, they're going to struggle to get vehicles out to them, aren't they? I don't think that's quite right. Bedfordshire, geographically, is a very small area anyway. Um, the hub, as we refer to, that is just where the people clock on for work in the morning. They then go out to do their patrols, as they always have done. So I really don't see that as being a problem at all. It's always been that way. They clock into hubs, and then they go out on patrols. So certainly central beds, I would 
say won't see any lessening in their um, police. Are you saying that, that I'm using Shefford as an example? Are you saying that people in Shefford can expect in two years' time to have the same call-out response time as they get now, with all these cuts? That is that is what we're working towards, and so far I would expect that to happen. Obviously, the proof of the pudding have been the eating. I hope I'm right. I hope Jim's wrong, but I can understand his concerns. He's there to represent his members, but equally, we've got a huge financial problem ahead of us, and something has to be done about it. Jim, last word from you. Well, my, my other concern is is the closure of potentially of our smaller police stations. Uh, you mentioned Shepherd. We have got uh, we've got a police building there. And, and part of police authority reports that you're alluding to is, is the issue of looking at our estates. In other words, our smaller police stations, the ground around them. And I think in time what will happen is they'll look to sell those off to recoup more money to, to offset the budget deficit. And my, 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 my stance with that would be, who, how are we going to expect the elderly or disabled residents in Bedfordshire to, to actually meet and see a police officer physically? They, they have an expectation, rightly, they can go into one of the smaller police stations and, and engage with the police. There's certain elements within our society that don't have access to the internet, Facebook, Twitter. It's an alien concept to them, and I'm worried about the service they're going to receive moving forwards. Peter, final word from you. I don't think that is of concern. What we have found is that very, very few people visit those rural facilities anyway, um, particularly with the internet, the phone, etc., and various other communications. I don't think that would be an issue, but I do accept we have got challenges for the future, and the new police and crime commissioner who will take over from police authority in two months' time will have to make sure that he puts all, he or she puts all their energies into maintaining the current excellent service we've got in Bedfordshire. Gentlemen, thank you very much. That's Peter Conniff uh, there closing that, the chair of Bedfordshire Police Authority, and the other voice you heard was Jim Mallon, chair of Bedfordshire Police Federation. What's your take on this? Are you worried? Does this concern you? Or do you agree with Peter? Think, well, actually, you know, we can we can trim a little bit here. We can save the odd the odd million here and there, and uh, no one will notice a difference. If you're worried or otherwise, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five seven fifteen. It's Friday, the twenty eighth of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police and airport officials in Nepal say seven British people have died in a plane crash. Thames Valley Police are considering issuing more tasers in response to an increased number of assaults on officers by members of the public. In sport, Rory McIlroy and Graham McDowell will pair up to open Europe's defence of the Ryder Cup at Medina this afternoon. We'll have a full weather bulletin shortly with Steve Weston. And coming up, a vaccination to protect unborn children against whooping cough can now be given to pregnant mothers. Would you take it? We'll find out more before 7.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. We're talking mobility scooters. Uh, more and more of them are on sale. And, uh, but please don't for one second think I am knocking everybody who uses a mobility scooter. They can be fantastic, fantastic things. My mum used to have one. It, it died, the, the scooter, not my mum, she's still with us, uh, which in many ways is a good thing because she, t- towards the end of her scooter driving days, she wasn't really good enough to drive a scooter and luckily it it kind of it went out so we didn't need that but we are hearing stories that uh, people are buying these scooters who don't really need them they're just a bit lazy a bit fat and so they're getting one Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Well, Steve is in Shefford. Good morning, morning, Steve. Morning, Steve. You own a company that sells these scooters. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, have you noticed people buying them who don't need them? No, to the contrary, I would say more people are buying them that do need them. And there's probably more of an issue, as you said, with people that need them but can't actually use them. They're too far gone. 
How do you assess when someone comes in? I mean, are you obliged to sell them to everyone, even if you're thinking, oh dear, now, she shouldn't have this? When they come in, all of the staff are trained to do a full appraisal. Right. Um, and they fill it in a two-page questionnaire, which they will go through with every single client that they believe is too far gone. So if somebody comes in and they say they're partially sighted, oh. then obviously you can't sell them a scooter. And what, what's the legal requirement for them being on the road? Because I have seen it several times uh, when I used to live in, in, in uh, Farnham Common, years and years ago. There was an old boy who would go up and down the main road o- on his scooter. Well, well, legally, they have to be registered if they cl- cover over six miles per hour. Right. They don't legally have to display a, a licence plate, but they do have to display a tax disc, which is free of charge. Now, that, that tax disc is only free of charge if you are registered disabled or have chronic sickness or disability. And are there some models that uh, are acceptable on the road and some that aren't? There are, yes. If, if you put the speed down to four miles per hour, then you, know, then that, then you can travel on the, um, on the pavement on them, but you must, you know, you're obliged to keep them at four miles per hour. Steve, how many staff have you got in your shop? Four. And how many scooters in there? 30 to 40. I'm going to ask you a question, uh, and I, I want an honest answer, Steve. Yes. When the shop closes, yes. do you ever line them up and have races? <laughs> Occasionally. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Steve. I, he, he hesitated, and then he was honest. Thank you very much, Steve. Stephen Shepherd, uh, who owns uh, Comfort Home Care, which sell mobility scooters. You would, wouldn't you? There's four of you. It's been a long day. Hard work. You've got 30-odd scooters. You would. Shall we? Should we have a little race? We very nearly organised a little scooter race here, and then we thought perhaps it's not the most sensitive way of dealing with the subject. But, Steve, thank you very much for your honesty. Much appreciated. October the 5th, Beatles Day on BBC Three Counties Radio. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. 50th anniversary of the release of Love Me Do. First single to be released by the Beatles in 1963. If you've got a Beatles story, um, maybe you met them, you saw them in concert. We've got some cracking stories lined up, by the way. Oh, some great stories. Send us an email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Mark the the subject heading Beatles Day. Write it down, and if it's good enough, we'll get you on the air to talk about it at some point during that day. Talking about the police cuts, I'm I'm keen to get your stories of of being... uh, When was the last time... Here we go, here's a question. When was the last time you had to call the police? 08459 455 555. And were you happy with the response? Was it quick enough? Were they detailed enough? I once phoned up my local police station because I didn't think it was a 999 job, right? And some woman answered. She wasn't a police officer. I said, oh, um, I, I, basically, I, I can tell this because it's, it's all been done and dusted. I had someone um, sending me emails threatening to kill me, basically. They were going to kill me. Uh, they, they didn't. And they, they generally, it, I have discovered that when people send me emails threatening to kill me, they gen- generally don't follow that through. It's happened quite a few times. It's, it's Generally, they don't follow it through. But I was a little bit worried, because this guy was obviously completely nuts. Completely. So I wasn't sure it was a 999... So I phoned up my local police station. And this woman answered. And I said, oh, I wonder if you can help with this. And she says, yes, of course I can. And I told her the story. She went, oh, actually, I'm not a police officer. I can't help you with this. I said, oh, should I pop down to the police station? She went, oh, no, we don't have any police here. I said, what? She said, no, 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 we don't have, we don't have any police here. But it's the police station. Yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't have any police. We're, it's all staffed by volunteers. But, so, it's a, you're, none of you are police. You're all volunteers. And I can't report a crime to you. No. Well, what's the point of you being there? You might as well go and work in a library or something. For the use you are. 
So I phoned up uh, 999. They weren't much better either, to be honest. That's, that's the time when I swore at a police officer, because... <laughs> uh, after six months of investigating, she went, oh, there's not much more we can do. I said, someone's going to shoot me, and there's not much more you can do. But with swear words. When was the last time you called the police, and were you satisfied with their response? 08459. Four double five five double five. Now, a vaccination to protect unborn children against whooping cough can now be given to pregnant mothers. What do you think about this? If, if you're pregnant or if you, you've, you've had children, what would you do? When um, our first little boy was expected, uh, it was when the, the, the swine flu vaccine was given. Was it swine flu or bird flu? Swine flu, probably, was being given to pregnant mothers. And we agonised for ages over whether we should have it or not, we, my wife. I, th- I think we... I don't think we did in the end. I think we decided against it. Well, John Amos got in touch on our uh, 3CR Facebook page and says, Being 36, I remember they used to have whooping cough posters in the surgery. As long as there are no side effects, it's a no-brainer. I had the 100-day cough and it was totally awful. Thought of my two children catching it just scares me so much. Some people turn purple with coughing fits. It's not nice. Well, the vaccination was previously not recommended during pregnancy, but a change in the health guidelines means it will now be available to soon-to-be mums. The disease is on the increase, with three times more cases than usual having been reported this year already. Dr Mike Lilly is the consultant in communicable disease control for Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire at the Health Protection Agency. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning. Why has there been such a big issue surrounding this? I think the issue at the moment is that whooping cough itself tends to follow a a cyclical pattern and we get increases in cases roughly every three to four years and we're experiencing that increase at the moment. So from last year into this year, we've had very many more cases than we would normally expect to have and, and that's part of the pattern that we're seeing. Now, when we get that, we usually offer whooping cough vaccination to vulnerable individuals and pregnant mums are part of that vulnerable group. The difference now is that we'd be considering offering whooping cough vaccination to pregnant mothers um, even if they're not not been exposed. Is there any danger to the unborn baby with this vaccination? How how long have pregnant mums been receiving it? Uh, The vaccination itself has been used for babies um, as part of the vaccination schedule since the 1950s. It was changed to a much safer version in the early 2000s. So it's been used for many years and used in pregnant women for many years. So the safety profile is well recognised and as as your previous caller um, that you referred to suggests, Mm. it is found to be safe in pregnancy. There are no side effects or any possible damage to the baby in pregnancy? No no damage to the baby when given in late pregnancy. Obviously there are always side effects potential for vaccinations, a stiff sore arm, maybe a little bit of aches and pains, fluey feelings, that Mm. sort of thing. Very rare serious complications, but we're talking maybe one in a million. How does, if, if, if someone suspects their kid has got whooping cough, What are the symptoms? What differentiates it from just being a little bit poorly? In the early stages, not a lot. Um, It tends to start off like any cold starts, bit of sniffles, start of a cough. But I think the difference with whooping cough, again, as as you referred to earlier, is the fact that the cough, you get fits of coughing that get worse and worse and worse. Um, you can turn blue because of lack of oxygen. You typically um, may vomit with the cough, 
and the characteristic hoop when you when you finish a coughing bout is a, a big inspiratory hoop it's a it's a fairly characteristic noise associated doesn't always occur so it's not a not a diagnostic feature if you like but i think it is the severity and the duration of the cough um, that marks it out if you think your kid's got it what should you do obviously consult your, your doctor yeah in the early stages antibiotics can help to eliminate the organism itself that makes you less of a risk to others mm. It doesn't, I mean, antibiotics themselves don't usually alter much the course of the disease, um, but it does alter your infectiousness, so it protects others, but doesn't necessarily make you better any quicker. I remember growing up in the 70s, and there was kind of a big spate of whooping cough, loads of kids off school. Is it a kid's disease, or or do adults get it as well? Uh, Adults can get it too. I mean, typically we're seeing at the moment a lot of people in the... 30s to 40s age group getting it and predominantly that's because the vaccination itself doesn't last lifelong nor does protection from getting the disease last lifelong so even though you may have been vaccinated or you may have had the disease you still potentially could get it again some years later typically when you're older it's a much milder disease Mm. so it, it would be like a persistent cough that that you perhaps wouldn't recognise as being whooping cough. Okay, doctor, thank you very much. Dr Mike Lilly, apologies for the uh, the line quality there. Uh, he was a consultant in communicable disease control for Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire at the Health Protection Agency. That's a job title, isn't it? This is Ian Lee yes. on BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Catherine. In the next half an hour, we'll be hearing more about the John Terry verdict, uh, Greg Rutherford and his victory parade. Uh, but first of all, we have been talking about mobility scooters. No, whoa, hey, kids, don't switch off because it rocks. <laughs> no, it does. I'll tell you why. Because we found out that some people are buying them just because they're a bit lazy. They're a little bit chubby. And they don't want their little legs to carry their weight. Or they're just a little bit lazy. And I I really wish I had the uh, gojones to do something like that. To get a mobility scooter and go, yeah, do you know what? I don't want to walk to the shops. I'm going to drive to the shops on my unlicensed vehicle. Well, one shop owner who sells the vehicles says sales are up and more able-bodied people are buying them. Able-bodied people are looking you do get certain people that will buy a mobility scooter because they can see that they don't have to pay any road tax it costs pennies to charge um, there's really no legislation that's stopping them from doing it and some of them have a 35 mile range so you know we have got a, a chap that bought one um, in the city of London and he uses it to commute to work and back because it doesn't cost him any road tax he doesn't pay any congestion fee and he doesn't pay anything to park it you've got to admit that's genius isn't it so is there anything wrong with more mobility scooters on our roads? And again, I have to say, we're not knocking mobility scooters at all. I think they are fantastic. But you do get some people you think, oh, God, really? You should not be driving that. Well, Justin Dealey has been out speaking to drivers at Toddington Services. Now, Tom, you saw a mobility scooter on the roads in Lucen yesterday. Do you think by having those scooters on the roads, it's dangerous? Uh, yeah, it is really, yeah. Not uh, just for the road users, if you hit one. Uh, you're going to feel bad about it, but they shouldn't have been there. They're, they're not. They don't think they're doing harm, but really, uh, they're causing a nuisance. Yeah. So you saw one yesterday. How often do you see mobility scooters on our, on our roads? Uh, an odd time a week. Last week, 
coming up the three lane stretch of motorway past the Angel of the North on the inside lane there was a mobility scooter and the, the motorway yeah and the police had to stop him and they closed the lane for him yeah that's incredible yeah last Wednesday last Wednesday why yeah Right, so the Angel of the North last week on the motorway and yesterday yeah. on the roads in Luton. Yeah, on the High Street in Luton. High Street in Luton's very busy, footpaths are busy, uh, but still uh, you can't see everywhere when you're in a very good vehicle, you could soon hit one. That's uh, your father has a mobility scooter and yeah. he goes on the roads. Yeah. Do you worry for him when he does that? Yeah, I'll worry for him because obviously drivers go fast and you know they cut up cyclists, so... Motors, Ability scooters are a bigger item for them to cut up. So in an ideal world, you'd like to see them banned from our roads, which would give you peace of mind. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, I mean, most of them are responsible, so going on the path I don't think would hurt a great deal. You know, or uh, cycle lanes like we have in London. You know, I think that's okay. So what is life like for those using a mobility scooter? Our reporter, Victoria Cook, went shopping in Luton with 88-year-old Douglas Wilson, also known as Bill. She asked him how important his scooter is to him. It's a lifeline, love. I've got um, a tri-walker thing just in, in the flat. But if I haven't got a scooter, I'd be else. Well, I'm in shelter accommodation. Do you find it difficult to get around in the mobility scooter, or is it easy? Ah, now that's a good question. There's a few places around here, like the cappies, there's a few places that don't cater for disabled people. Would it be possible if I borrowed a mobility scooter and came out with you for the next ten minutes and tried my hand at using a mobility scooter, and you can show me what it's like? You can do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do it. All right then, Bill, off we go. I'm following Bill out of the indoor market in Luton. Oh, one of the big problems is there's no indicators. Bill's just beeping some people and asking some of you out there. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. So we're going really slowly past all the shops. We're getting a few unusual looks from people because obviously we are now a mobility scooter convoy. Okay, now we're entering the main shopping centre. There are an awful lot of prams and people. You suddenly appreciate, actually, how low down you really are in one of these things. Now, we're obviously quite wide coming through here together, aren't we? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all right, but as I say, you, you've got to have your wits about it all the time, otherwise people would be, you'd be running into people. Well, so far, so good. We haven't crashed into any people, but it is lunchtime. There's a lot of people on their lunch breaks. Uh, people look like they're in a hurry. One of the biggest problems I've got is speed. I can't really go very fast. I'm trying to get down the, the narrow corridors of the shopping centre. is quite difficult because people are coming out of shops and they're not really looking at this height. They're looking for people coming at their own height level. Thank you. Sorry. Well, there we go. That's uh, Victoria Cook out there, out and about on a mobility scooter. Uh, Bill has called in from Hemel Hempstead, a different bill to the one we just had. Morning, Bill. Hello, Ian. It's me again. I know. We can't get rid of you, can we? <laughs> no, We keep trying. We, we, we thought we right. blocked your number, but you managed to get through the system. Yes, Bill. <laughs> Ooh, <Right>. Steady, steady. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm mobiles. I think they're a blooming nuisance. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm a bit disabled. I've got a bad leg, but I mean, I try and walk everywhere I can. And uh, what I was saying to you, producer, there was uh, uh, 
If I had to have one, oh, I want someone to shoot me. Sorry? But, yeah, I would. I want someone Why? to shoot me. If I want, no, I don't want one of those things. But they're, they, they're, a, they're a lifeline. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. I mean, I would say, say to producer there, or one of your colleagues, uh, yeah, I mean, my son, we was going up a blue and jewel car- carriageway, and there was one coming up. He was nearly in the middle of the road. Oh, blimey. And, and, and there was about ten or so cars behind us. Yeah. And we was one of them who was behind this mobile. And they're dangerous. And the other thing as well, they've got no blooming hooters to tell you that they're coming along. Yeah, you need, you need, you need, you need a nice big hooter. Bill, we've got to move on. Thank you very much. We're talking as well about whooping cough. Uh, vaccination is being um, offered to, to pregnant mums. Jennifer is in Bedford. Jennifer, your daughter had whooping cough, did she? Yes, she did. What happened? Uh, well, she caught it at about um, somewhere between four and six weeks old, and we ended up being admitted uh, into hospital. She was in hospital for two and a half weeks and had to go into pediatric ICU at Addenbrooke's, and it was a terrifying experience for us. It must have been awful if she's four weeks old. That's, of course it's terrible. They're so fragile at that age. It's terribly fragile. And we went, um, I made the mistake when she was very small, just a couple of weeks old. I took her down to the DP surgery to register her. And we were told to come during open hours. And that's when everybody who's, you know, they've got a call for us. Yeah, sniffle. they're all there. They sat in the GP surgery waiting room. And that's where we were. And I think that's where she got it. And I would advise any woman as a small infant to not go to the GP surgery with their infant. How old is she now, Jennifer? Is she well and, and, and healthy? She's, she's well and healthy. She's five months old now. So Fantastic. we're in hospital in June. It wasn't that long ago. Oh, Quite God fresh. Man. Well, Jennifer, listen, thank you very much for your story. I'm glad she's well. Five months old is a fantastic age. Enjoy every second of it. Now, the success of Olympic gold medalist Greg Rutherford is being celebrated today in his hometown of Woburn Sands. The bunting will be out and the long jumping champion will be paraded around the town on a vintage open top bus. Our reporter Justin Dealey is keen and he's there already. Morning, Justin. Oh, good morning, Ian. Is there anybody out there lining the streets with their flags? Well, not quite yet, Ian, but right. uh, the, the event starts this afternoon. But I can tell you that there's lots of flags up here in the town because, of course, ever since Greg won that gold medal, uh, the whole of the, the nation behind him, yes, but also here in particular in Woven Sands where Greg lives. Now, we've got something quite exciting coming up in just a second, Ian. I have got my tape measure at the ready. I beg uh, your pardon. <laughs> Where's this going? <laughs> Breakfast. I'll leave, I'll leave you guessing with that one. OK. But, uh, up first, <laughs> we've got the Mayor of Woven Sands, David Hopkins. David, welcome to the programme. So, it's a massive, massive day for Woven Sands today. What time does the fun start and what's going to be happening here? We're starting at half past four. We have an open-top bus ride, uh, obviously starring Greg. Uh, we're going through the town. We're coming to where we are at the moment, which is our village green, about uh, 10 to 5. We're going to be unveiling the, uh, the uh, installation that we're uh, standing by at the moment. And then we're going on to the village hall, the Summerlin Centre, for a second part to the mm. celebration, which has some surprises in it. And we should be talking here about thousands of people, surely? I would like to think so. Um, we really genuinely don't know. I mean, it could be a few hundred here, the town turns out. I've got a feeling lots of people from Milton Keynes are going to turn out as well, and from neighbouring communities. Uh, you know, athletics is a new rock and roll. And some people may say, well, it's been a few weeks since he won his gold. Why now? Well, he's been very busy. He was still on the Diamond League circuit, um, competing around Europe. Uh, he's had lots of other engagements. Um, and we wanted to liaise with Greg at a time which was convenient to him. And this Friday evening is great for him. It's great for the town. People are coming home from work. Kids will be home from school it just fitted in nicely this celebration is happening here in woven sands where greg lives but his roots of course are in milton Keynes. they are not celebrating do you think milton Keynes have let greg down 
Well, you need to ask Milton Keynes out. Here in Woburn Sands, we've been delighted by the response we've had from him and his people. Uh, he's given us uh, his full backing, his great support, and we're looking forward to this afternoon's events, which are going to be fantastic. Great stuff. Right, Ian, um, I mentioned about my tape measure. I've got my tape measure in my pocket right now. Oh, because... for goodness <laughs> sakes. It's, not, it's like a carry-on film when you come on. No, no, th- 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 this is genuine because, um, okay. of course, Greg, when he won gold, he jumped 8.31 metres. Correct, now, it's, yes. it's kind of hard to visualise that, but, uh, David, what you've done here... Well, well, tell us what you've done, because you've made it quite simple, haven't you? Yes, on the village green, we've laid out an installation which will actually indicate, in one metre strips, just how far that is. Uh, And although you can't really visualise it on radio, it's a jolly long way. It's incredible, I have to say. So, right now, Ian, the Mayor of Woburn Sands, he has got a personality. He's turned up this morning with his trainers on. Is he going to have a go? He's going to have a go. Oh, fair play. Let's see if we can get some kids across. Some kids are waiting for their bus. Kids, can you come across for us? <laughs> Kids, can you come across and judge David for us? This is just in dealing hassling children on right. BBC Three okay. Counties Radio. Yes, I've just turned up. Right, okay. Give me some vital stats on the Mayor of Woven Sands. He is 56, he's 5 foot 10, his weight, well, he won't go into that. He likes rugby, he dislikes curry. So, David, when you're ready. Hang on, he dislikes curry. Yeah, I know. Get, very this, ma- get this man off of my show, for <laughs> goodness sakes. Very, very strange. You're, this, yeah, this is wonderful. Okay, so, David, take it away. I shall commentate. Here comes the Mayor of Woven Sands trying to outdo Greg Rutherford. Go on, here he goes. Be good if oh you did my it. goodness me, that was pathetic. <laughs> oh, you can't do that, do that to the again. mayor. Again, that was awful. Right, okay, let's do this properly. How long have we got left here? You've we got, you got as much time as you want, right, Justin. Okay, we, David, we can... right, here he goes. The mayor of Woven Sands, right, after three. One, two, three, and take it seriously. Come on. There we go. It's very exciting. And a leap. BBC Ooh, Three Counties Radio, right, first for okay. news. So let's have a look. How far was that? We're looking, really, aren't we, about, um, what, just under three metres? Boo, <laughs> boo, hiss. You're disputing that. I, I, I thought it was a little bit further, actually. I'd like another opinion, but... Uh, oh, in fact, the, the man over there just gave me a red flag, so it's, it's null and void anyway. <laughs> Justin, Justin, of course, you know yes. that you have to get a urine sample from the mayor, don't you? Just <laughs> yes, to make yes, sure we, there's nothing naughty going on. We need to test him out. David, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate that, and fair play for doing that, because other mayors might have actually said, no, I'm not doing it, so thank you very much. You guys, did, great pleasure. Thank I, you have a great time. afternoon. There you go, the Justin, mayor of Sands. I did like the little dig he had at Milton Keynes, because, of course, Milton Keynes couldn't arrange this event, could mm. they? They couldn't get an open-top bus for, for Greg, and uh, so it, it's happening in Woburn Sands. Listen, uh, I'm not letting you off scot-free. Are you going to have a go at this jump at some point? Well, well the idea is that, that later, when you come back to us after 8.30, we're going to be talking to the man himself, Greg Rutherford, Brilliant. live on Three Counties, and hopefully we can either do this jump here with Greg, and Greg can have a look at me having a go, or we can do it in Greg's back garden. Either way, I'm happy. Good lad, thank you very much. Justin Daly is a, one of the greatest people you're ever going to hear on the radio, because he's, he goes where no one else would bother. Good morning, it's 7.45, it's Friday the 28th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. 100 Bedfordshire police officers and 56 community support officers are set to lose their jobs over the next four years. Pregnant women are to be offered vaccinations against whooping cough and the biggest outbreak of the illness for two decades. In sports, Captain Stuart Broad says England must stop losing early wickets if they're to defend their World 2020 title. Today's weather for beds, hearts and bucks. We're in for some patchy light rain around mid-morning, but it will get brighter later. Top temperature is 16. Coming up, Sir David Jason is going to be in Wendover today. Find out more before 8am. BBC Three Counties Radio. I've just realised I do have an odd connection to the Beatles, and this is slightly tasteless, but this is absolutely true, so I feel I can share it with you. I went to college with the cousin of Mark Chapman. This is true. This is absolutely true. The, uh, the gentleman that, that, uh, that shot John Lennon, I went to college with him. And I remember when it came out, 
that this was this guy. And we're all, like, kind of shocked. And he's like, yeah, this is my cousin. What about it? Very, very odd. Very odd. Particularly, there's a huge Beatles day. I'm really looking forward to Beatles Day. That's going to be a lot of fun, and we've got some great stuff for you. Uh, we've had a text on mobility scooters. Julian has said, Ian, mobility scooters are just another name for the Sinclair C5. That was a hip design of the 80s, and now technology has moved on to, to support the idea properly. There's something in that. I've ridden a C5 uh, once. Oh, it's awful. You're too low down. That was the problem, you see. Too low down and not enough power. 08459 four double five five double five. Now, John Terry has asked for a detailed explanation from the disciplinary panel, which has found him guilty of using racist language towards Anton Ferdinand in a match last October. The Chelsea and former England captain has been fined £220,000 and banned for four matches. He says he's disappointed the FA came to a different decision to the magistrate's court, which cleared him of racially abusing Ferdinand back in July. We can talk now to Paul Mortimer, the former Charlton and Aston Villa midfielder, who now works with show races in the red card. He was on the show the other morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Ian. How are you? um, Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. It's good to have you back on. We spoke to you just as the case began. What do you make of the verdict? Um, Well, first of all, you know, you you welcome the, 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 the verdict from the FA. I think it shows that... They are taking racism seriously, um, and that they're they're highlighting all aspects to be able to stamp it out. Um, it's it can be a bit confusing the verdict simply because the Luis Suarez case was the benchmark for for ra- racial abuse, and this is more money but less game uh, sort of ban, which which does cause a bit of confusion. I tell you what, I think will happen is everyone will be looking for the the written report, especially John Terry's uh, people. But yeah. Uh, it, a lot's going to have to be explained in that in that written report. I don't understand it, though, though, Paul. He was found innocent in a court of law, and the FA has found him guilty. How does how does that work? Well, in a court of law, um, it's basically about you know beyond reasonable doubt. Um, within the FA, they have their own sort of rules, and and and, and it's mm. about conduct. There were the words used. The, the context of the, the the words being used is irrelevant. It's okay. Were the words used? Now, John Terry admitted in the in the court of law that the words were were going to be were were used. So, yeah. To a certain degree, everyone knew that the FA were going to charge him, and to a certain degree, they were going to be successful because the words were used, and he admitted that, and that's all that they needed to be able to charge him. The money, what is that? A week's wages, isn't it? Four. It's not going to hurt him um, in the pocket, but I guess his reputation is damaged now, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think I think that's you know that's that's uh, 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 an assessment that you, uh, people could agree on. But you know, I think with footballers, it's not about finding them it's about their time mm. it's about taking their time away from them and and you know john terry could go around to schools and explain why racism is wrong and 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 accept that these words were said whatever the context and also you know educate children on on why it's wrong to say these words because as as my job I, you know i'm an educator for show racism the red card and we go into schools and we talk to kids from sort of year year five and six onwards mm. and they are on point they totally know the John Terry, Luis Suarez situations, you know, we, we, the workshops we put on had to be stopped because the kids wanted to discuss this. Mm. So they understand it. But what also they must understand is that when you go into that arena of talking about people's colour or religion or things like that and you abuse people, that there are consequences and there are punishments because it's illegal. And, you know, that, that's one thing that this has shown. You've experienced racism, haven't you, Paul, in, in, in football specifically? Yes, yes. Um, uh, you know, I, I was from sort of the late 80s till about 2001. And yes, um, every year, 
you 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 experienced it, be it from teammates, be it from opposition, uh, uh, from the, the fans. Yeah, it was it was really really um, it was prevalent then. Yeah. It's not so much now. Um, to be truthfully honest, we are better. I think we lead the way in Europe in terms of combating racism. But before we give ourselves a pat on the back. These type of things highlight the fact that more work is needed, and it's not condemning or punishing. To a certain degree, it's about educating. It's about everyone understanding that these words are not acceptable. Whatever context anyone uses them in, they're not acceptable. We understand that, you know, on a football pitch, there are so many other words that come under the umbrella of ban- banter that you can use. Hmm. You know, colour color should not come into it, and if it does... You know, the racist words are, are illegal. Mm. People have been put in prison for using them on Twitter and places like that. So they're illegal, and we know that. So, you know, it's not an excited utterance to, Je- call, to have a go at someone like that. Uh, thank you very much for that, Paul. Lovely to talk to you. We shall get you on the show again. It's always... Uh, hopefully we can talk about something a little bit lighter next time, because uh, we, we seem to be uh, having these rather heavy discussions with you, and I think you're a fascinating chap. So thank you very much. Paul Mortimer, uh, former footballer, who now works with Show Racism, the red card. We're asking for your experiences with the police. Huge cuts in the Bedfordshire police. Uh, potentially 100 officers could be going. Uh, 56 um, uh, the hobby bobbies, I believe, is the, the term that we used to use. I don't think we use that anymore, of course. Uh, what are your experiences with the police? Uh, Gerald is in Bushy. Morning, Gerald. Oh, no, hang on, you're on that one. I do apologise. Morning, Gerald. <laughs> Good morning. I do apologise. <laughs> it, it's Friday. Uh, I, my brain has already switched off a little bit. I do apologise. <laughs> D- tell me your story with, uh, with the police. Well, basically, it was a few Christmases ago, and I was, um, we were up in bed at five o'clock in the morning, as you would be, and um, this crashing and bashing on the front door, and I thought, what the heck's this noise? Mm. So I ran down the stairs, because we've got an alarm and all the rest of it, and um, got to the door, and this guy is trying to get his way through my front door. Obviously, he wasn't trying to rob me, because he was making too much noise. Yeah, so five in the morning, there's a guy trying to break in your door? Yes. Anyway, it turns out that he'd been drinking and all the rest of it the night before, because celebrating before Christmas. Yeah. And he had issues, I know that. And, um... He wouldn't go away, so I eventually sort of threatened him through the door and said, you know, go away and all the rest of it. You could go away, please. And, uh, yes. <laughs> my wife was panicking, she phoned the police, and um, that was the end of that to start with. So anyway, I said, well, I'm going to stay downstairs now, and um, I, I stayed downstairs with everything on, all the lights and the alarms ready, and uh, then he, she said, you should call down the stairs, he's back again. So I thought, oh, God, here we go. So, um... He then really goes to town on my door. He puts yeah. his fist through the window and cuts all his hand. And he, we've got bars on the back of the window, luckily enough. Yeah. So he's hanging on the bars. This and is kicks, terrifying, kicks. Gerald. Oh, no, well, I'm seven, I was about 71 at that oh, time. Oh, God. And, um, you know, my heart was going like So did you, did you call the police? We called them five times. I, right. called, uh, I called them once. My wife called them twice. And the neighbour over the road, we were on a fairly busy road, which is quite a distance away, the other side of the road. They heard it, and they phoned them twice. And to no degree, the, the, I was saying to earlier on the gentleman that um, my wife said, well, my, my husband's behind the door with an axe, because I had a small axe I'd be using the night before and some tree logs. Yeah. And I um, oh, don't wish to know that. <laughs> so... Three quarters of an hour later, they turn up. 45 minutes and yep. five phone calls? Correct. And there's a nutter smashing through your windows and I trying know. to kick your door down, and you're, you're 71 years old? Precisely. That's incredible! Well, I was, I was angsty. Wow. I mean, I would have been there, and if, the thing is, 
Uh, what was I going to do? I'd had to protect myself and my did. wife. Yeah. Would you, so listen, this is before the cuts, these huge cuts coming on, but very quickly, Gerald, do you think you'd notice the cuts? I've, I've noticed the, I've noticed the odd policeman around which is more walking, but not people doing anything really important, as you might say. Gerald, listen, that's an amazing story. If you want to hear that again, that'll be uh, on the Facebook page after the show. I guarantee it. Gerald and Bushy, thank you very much. We're moving on, just because uh, I've got personal interest in this. So David Jason, today, is officially going to open the new Chiltern MS Centre in Wendover. The project has cost £2.8 million and will boast some of the best facilities in the country. Joe Wolfe is the Chief Executive of the uh, Chiltern's MS Centre. Morning, Joe. Morning to you. 260 people attend treatment every week at the Chiltern MS Centre. Now you've got new building new facilities are you going to be able to treat more people or is it the same number of people just getting much better treatment no we're definitely going to be able to be treat more people Brilliant. and we will be delivering new treatments as well how much is it going to cost to keep the center open every year flat minimum about six hundred and fifty thousand pounds <gasps> it's a lot of money where do you get that from Fundraising right. from donations from patients themselves who come to use the centre, loads of community fundraising, wonderful fundraising in our area, a certain amount from trusts and funds, uh, major donors as well. Mm. But really our focus is on community fundraising and those people who use the centre themselves. The centre's opening today. You've got Del Boy coming down. That'll yes, get you a lot do. of attention. Good for you. Uh, there's a, still a shortfall in funding, though, isn't there, for this building? There is. We're looking to try and make up a £95,000 which is what we've got left to raise. And when right. you think of what we've raised, which is 1.3 million already, mm-hmm. um, it kind of sounds like not a lot. But when you think of raising £95,000 in this current climate, then it, it, it clearly is. This centre is going to be an amazing centre because it's going to be turned into a centre of excellence. That means that we will be housing students, we'll be delivering genuine personalised treatment plans for people, and we have a hydrotherapy pool and a brand new state of the art what we call hyperbaric oxygen chamber so it's it's an exciting concept and i think in the current climate of while while we're looking at where we go with our own health care mm. i think charities like ourselves are going to become increasingly important i've got personal experience with ms my mum's got it she's got it very badly but for those who don't know about it uh joe c- how does it can you tell them how it affects people's lives well it affects people's lives in a rather cruel way in actual fact because um it it affects your vision very often it affects your balance and your coordination um it affects your capacity to simply enact your daily life so when we talk about fatigue we talk about the kind of exhaustion where very often just to put one leg in front of another is exceptionally difficult it's an unrelenting illness in so far that it is very unpredictable And that makes life very difficult because you simply do not know each morning when you open your eyes how you're going to feel on that day. Um, Shockingly, it's one of the most common neurological problems in young people and twice as many women have MS than, than men which when you look at it from a family perspective um, and being a mum really impacts very differently Mm. on people's lives completely and gives rise to men being the carers of their wives as very often women are seen as the carers Mm. in society. So it's, it's a very difficult neurological condition to manage because it doesn't go away, but it's very difficult to predict what the outcome is. And that's why centers like ourselves are crucial because long-term 
ongoing care is one of the biggest issues that faces the NHS today. Joe, listen, we have to move on. Thank you very much. I wish you the very best of luck with the centre, with the opening today. That's Joe Wolfe, Chief Executive of the Chiltern's new MS Centre. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. More on police cuts, mobility scooters and a barbershop quartet singing the Beach Boys. Oh, it's going to be a good last hour. Here's the news. Catherine, good morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Police forces in Bedfordshire could be slashed. Want to know your experiences with the police, good or bad? And will you notice the cuts? 08459 455 555. Sales of mobility scooters have gone up, but it's not just the elderly or disabled that are buying them. Should we have mobility scooters on our roads? 81333. Start your text 3CR. And Justin Dealey is going to be out with Greg Rutherford and trying to do some long jumping with him. Let's see how he gets on with that. You can give me a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. And uh, no doubt Jonathan Vernon-Smith will pop in um, at some point uh, this morning and let me know what's happening on his show from nine o'clock. Now, Bedfordshire is set to lose over 100 police officers and 56 community support officers over the next four years. The cuts are part of an operational review to identify cost savings. Well, today, Bedfordshire Police Authority will meet to decide whether to endorse the proposals for launch in October 2012. If the plans are approved, Bedfordshire will be serviced by only two police hubs in Kempston and Luton. For towns like Shefford, response times from police to attend burglaries and antisocial behaviour callouts could greatly increase. Paul Mackin is the Mayor of uh, Shefford and Chairman of the Town Council. Morning, Paul. Good morning, Ian. The review is going to see 100 officers going. That can't be good news, can it? No, I think it's absolutely devastating. Um, we, our, our patch, which uh, runs from uh, Potton, uh, Henlow, Shefford, uh, Stockfold, Arsley, and all the small, the small communities around, uh, has got one sergeant and nine PCSOs to look after it. It's got, um, on, it's got how many, sorry? It's got one sergeant and nine PCSOs. And th- how and is that even possible? Well, it's, it's, it, it stretches them really thin. Yeah. I mean, they've got response uh, crews coming out, but they're going to be coming from these centres, which are, are too far away. We've lost the police helicopter. That's gone. That was based at Henlow. Uh, we're we're going to be back into the situation, uh, the, the very sad situation we were back in the uh, late 80s, where people uh, in the community are going to start dealing with antisocial behaviour on their own, because they know it's not going to be worth calling the police. And I'm desperately afraid that we're going to end up seeing more people being hurt and injured uh, by dealing with these situations. Well, hang on, are you suggesting that in, in the, uh, the the beautiful uh, area of Shefford, that there's going to be vigilantism taking place? It started before, and I'm desperately afraid it's going to start again. Again, the, the, the trouble is, I mean, when, when you look at our crime statistics there, it's, it's all low-level crime. It's antisocial crime, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, drunks, it's uh, a small amount of drugs, uh, and it's, it's the general sort of rowdiness from, from pubs and our, our, what they call nighttime economy these days. Mm. That's, that's where people are going to start getting fed up with it. They're going to start dealing with it, and they're just not going to call the police. Uh, we had a, a, a very, very good beat officer some years ago who worked really hard to get to pull it round and to get people having confidence in the police again and being able to call the police and know that somebody was going to respond. 
uh, now with our PCSOs, and there's more cuts coming, as you say, in April, uh, they're just going to be spread so thin that they're just not going to be able to do their job properly. They're going to get demoralised, and it's just going to be bad for everybody. But, Paul, millions of pounds have to be saved. What other option is there, that, apart from cutting the police? Well, uh, to me, uh, money can be saved by doing work in-house and not putting it out to uh, contractors such as uh, G4S and and the fiasco that they're likely to cause. Uh, It it just seems ridiculous to me uh, to pay somebody to do a job that could be done by a retired officer. Uh, The officers that retire from the beat uh, are not uh, being encouraged to stay on now. Uh, so we're losing all of these, this experience that's going. I mean, you, you end up uh, in a situation, as I say, as we were a few years ago, where you could phone the control room, you could speak to uh, a civilian who had absolutely no idea of what was going on, no idea of the patch that they were supposed to be covering, and people just lost confidence. Paul, are you worried about this? Are you, are you concerned that, and we are talking about low-level crime at the moment in Sheffield, are you worried that this could escalate? Yes, I am. I'm really concerned about it. We, we, uh, we, we, we get fairly good cover on, on Friday and Saturday nights by specials. Not police officers, not paid police officers, but specials. Mm. Our PCSOs, as I say, are, are run ragged. We, 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 have, we, have, we have really good officers, and, and it's, a, it's a real shame to see them being uh, spread so thin that they, they, they feel that they're not doing the job properly or can't do the job properly. What's your message, uh, finally, Paul, to the Bedfordshire Police Authority? I think it's uh, find some other way to save money other than taking it away from the rural communities. I, I realise, I, you know, I quite accept that crime levels in Luton are a different thing to the crime levels in Shefford, but our problem is, is that it's the, the public are going to start getting involved and it's the public that's going to suffer. Paul, thank you very much. Paul Mackin, the, the Mayor of Shefford and Chairman of the Town Council. Vigilantism in Shefford. So it's like death wish. Uh, but genuinely, th- th- there are genuine concerns about this, aren't there? It's, it's a lot of officers, uh, and it will be, surely, the smaller places like Shefford that will notice this more to start with, definitely, because they're not going to send a copper out to there on a Saturday night, aren't they? If they're getting rid of 100 police officers, they'll be like, Shefford can look after themselves. They don't, don't really need us. And then when you do call through to the police, it could potentially, although this has been denied, it could potentially take longer for the police to get there because these hubs are going to be situated in Kempston and Luton. Are you worried about these cuts? Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. One hundred officers going. Fifty six PCSOs going. Are you worried about these? The thing is, what can they do? What can the police authority do? They've got to save millions of pounds. What other option is there? Really keen this morning to get your stories uh, about when you've had to call the police and what was the reaction like? We heard a a story earlier on. 71-year-old, someone's punching through their windows at five in the morning, trying to kick their door down. Took five phone calls and 45 minutes before the police came. I've never experienced that. When I've had to do a 999, they've always been pretty darn sharpish. Uh, I'm lucky to say. What's been your experience when you've called the police, either a 999 or your local police station, 08459 455 555. You can text 81333, start your text 3CR. Um, Vic says, I called the police on a non-emergency number. I was bitten by a dog. The police were very good. Kept me updated. The bite really hurt. Well, it would do, Vic, it's a dog. 
Pat has texted in 81333, starting the text 3CR. To cut back on police officers in Bedfordshire will mean very little to the way they deal with crime to our satisfaction. It's not the police alone that needs to be armed. The public... Where is this going? The public also have a duty to protect themselves with whatever is needed, given the foreign criminals in our streets who are not afraid of the soft justice this country dishes out. In my opinion, policing this country... Policing in this country is poor members of the public have to police themselves to protect whatever they're... Pat, you're not... Pat... You're not suggesting we all run around with guns, are you? That's, that's obviously a nonsense. I, I'm, I'm hoping I've misunderstood your, your text, Pat. Because, it, hang on, if we've all got guns, not, ma- not many criminals have guns. Not many. Okay? There's a few, but not many. If we all got guns, then they'd all get guns. And then people really would get shot. 08459 555 555. Let's go to uh, Dennis in Dunstable. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning. Don't, uh, Dennis, do you drive a mobility scooter? Would you ever? No, I've just dropped a car, but I was saying that I was in the doctor's surgery in West Street the other day. Yes. And a lady came in with the biggest scooter I've ever seen in my life. She drove it indoors? Blue, yes. Blue, four, was it? Four wheels. She, ba- she drove it in, backed it up, turned it round. In the area where the people were sitting. Yes. And apparently she goes in there quite often. And I've never seen a scooter as... It's not a scooter, it was a small car. (laughs) (laughs) She needed a cover on and she'd look like a mini. (laughs) (laughs) Was she any good at driving it? Well, she didn't run over your toes, which was just as well, because it looked heavy as well. I tell you what, those those um, scooters, they do weigh an absolute tonne. It's the battery, Dennis, yes. that, that's well, the heavy part. If it's anything like the one they showed on the telly last night, that car, which does 140 miles an hour, God help us if they start doing that on those mini scooters. I don't... No, I think scooters do about five miles an hour, Dennis. Well, I don't, I don't they, think there's any talk of them doing 140 miles an well, hour. Well, no, but that chap was proving that you could change a car and make it go at that speed. Oh, the only problem is, of course, yes. there's no noise. And so, consequently, they're going to have to put fake noise into these electric cars so the, you can hear them coming. Hang on, I'm confused, Dennis. What, what are we talking about now? Go, m- electric scooters. vehicles of any sort. Right. I mean, you couldn't hear that woman driving along if she was behind you because there's no mo- nothing coming out of the vehicle itself. Yeah. And this is what's going to happen with the electric cars that they're trying to sell, they're having to put noise into them so that you know they're coming. A fake noise. You know, you know indicators on cars? Yes. You know the clicking... So I'm going to go off on a tangent. You know the clicking noise? Yes. Is that a tape recording? How, how does that... What is that? I don't know, but that... Certainly when this lady backed this vehicle up, it was bleeping like a lorry. There we go. Thank you very much, Dennis and Dunstable. We went all around the houses and got back to the, our front door. What is the clicking of the indicator? How does that... Is it? I, I don't, I'm, I'm guessing it's not a tape recording. That would be odd to have a tape recorder with just a clicking noise. But what on earth is it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Now on Saturday between two and six, it's three county sport with Luke Ashmead. Four hours of top quality local sporting action. A choice of four live commentaries in the Championship, League One and the Conference. You've got Huddersfield versus Watford, Milton Keynes, Dons versus Crewe, Stevenage versus Berry, and Luton versus Southport. That's three counties sport with Luke Ashmead tomorrow afternoon between two and six. Definitely worth having a listen to. Uh, it's 8.15... These are your headlines on Friday the 28th of September on BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Bedfordshire is set to lose over 100 police officers and 56 police community support officers over the next four years as part of cost-cutting measures being discussed today. The harassment case against television presenter Justin Lee Collins will enter its fourth day at St Albans Crown Court later. In sport, the BBC has learned that Lewis Hamilton has decided to leave McLaren and sign for Mercedes from next season. I know nothing about sport, even I knew that was going to happen. Weather coming up shortly with Steve Weston and also on the show today, a massive celebration is being held in honour of their gold medalist long jumper Greg Rutherford. We'll be speaking to Greg before 9am. BBC Three Counties Radio. He's rolled up his sleeves. He means business. It's Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Good morning. You've rolled up your sleeves too, haven't you? I always roll up my sleeves because I've got long arms like a monkey and my sleeves never fit. You have got very long limbs. I'm I'm long-limbed. I I am. I I don't know why you'd laugh at that. Why are you laughing (laughs) at my body? I don't think you're allowed... You're not allowed to laugh at people's bodies these days. I'm going to sue you and the BBC. (laughs) £25,000. Thank you very much, Jonathan. You've made my weekend. What are you doing this weekend? Anything nice? Uh, Yes, going to... Uh, oh, of course you are. You, are you off tomorrow? Yes, I'm off tomorrow. I shall, uh, this time tomorrow, ooh, I'll be there. In your mankini. Yes. Drinking your posh booze. Yes. Uh, actually, I'll probably be stocking up at Lidl. <laughs> <laughs> You've got, a, you've got a strange glow behind your eyes. I've not seen uh, for a long time. You're genuinely excited, aren't you, to be leaving this Ooh, place? And I love a bit of sunshine. I need a bit of sunshine, a bit of warmth, a few Pinot Grigios. Is it nice over there at the moment? Yeah, it's lovely. Oh, fantastic. Can't wait. When actually, no, I think the weather's been a bit minging this week, but next week it's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a bit what, sorry? Well, apparently, yes, I'm just trying out my expertise for weatherman. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon? I don't think that minging is an actual definition that the Met Office use. Uh, it's, a, it's a term, though, that sums up our weather yes. fairly frequently. I think they should just say that. Yes. Tomorrow, it's minging. Yeah, leave don't it at that. Yeah. What's on your show today? Because I do like a, a listening to it. Yes, well, I hope you're going to uh, engage with today's big phone-in today. Yes. You should do, because you're a parent. Yeah. Coming up on the big phone-in... <laughs> I am. Is it fair to take small children on planes and trains? <laughs> <laughs> you're not, not going to ask that question, I are am. you? Oh, God. Uh, an airline is planning to oh, offer... God. Have you heard about this? An airline no. is planning to offer baby-free oh. client zones on its flights. Air Asia says from February next year, it will provide a quiet zone for passengers aged 12 and over at no extra cost. Yeah, because 12-year-olds aren't noisy, are they? No. Uh, certainly there appears to be support for segregation. In April, a survey of 1,666 British adults by jetcost.co.uk found that 53% supported child-free flights. Oh, God. Makes me sick. Why, why are you getting so... Uh, I'm angry about this because we were all children once, Jonathan. We all made a noise. We all got upset at various points. And kids should be allowed to travel because it enriches their lives. And if you have a quiet zone, you're still going to hear the kids screaming. So... Mm, and if there's a uh, child zone, yes. I'll be all right, but you'll, you'll have to sit in the area with all the screaming children, I don't mind sitting with screaming children. Really? I, I love it. I, I love children. I think they're fantastic. They are the future. We should be nurturing. And th- There is a child-free zone on aeroplanes. It's called First Class. No, you can still get children in there. That shouldn't There's be allowed. Rich people have children too. They shouldn't be allowed to have rich children. Uh, on the big phone in this morning... <laughs> or something. <laughs> I think, I got I think we've followed you. Yes. On the big phone in this morning, is it fair to take small children on planes and trains? Is it fair for the children... On trains? Of you yes. oh, you've got what? me so angry. Are you being serious? Yes. Of course you can take them on trains. I went, I went down to Plymouth. Oh, just I'm furious with you today. Oh, calm down. Oh. I went to Plymouth just a couple of months ago. 
It took about six hours on this train. Imagine being sat there with a screaming child next to you for but they six don't, hours. They don't scream for six hours. I flew to Sri Lanka once. Yes. Twelve hours, that flight was. Yeah. It was as if I was flying in a, in a, in a crash with wings. I have never experienced it. I said to the cabin crew, I pressed my, my buzzer. It went ding, ding. And this, this lovely cabin crew came over. I said, take my credit card. <laughs> I will pay whatever you have to take from that credit card to oh, sit dear. me somewhere without screaming children. Oh, and she dear. said, I'm so sorry, there is nowhere. The plane is completely full. Good. It was like, it was like being in hell. I'm so, I'm genuinely angry with you. Ooh. I'm glad you're off for a week, because it's going to take a week <laughs> for me to calm down from this. So what, just give us, the, give us your ridiculous, bigoted <laughs> question again. Is it fair to take small children on planes and trains? I want your view on the big Yeah, just, just get right. it, just get out, just go. <laughs> I'm genuinely angry, Jonathan. You've upset me. I thought you were a decent bloke. Oh, he's got... I'm, I'm going to phone... This is twice this week. He's really annoyed me. Ah, oh, dearie, dearie. <laughs> it's got me very upset. I shall definitely be listening. It's always worth um, a listen if you want to, uh, to listen to Jonathan Werner-Smith from 9 o'clock uh, this morning, then please do. Uh, we have got... To, oh, this is interesting. Look. We've got Andy in Dunstable. Good morning, Andy. Good morning. You've, wh- what have you called in about? Um, you was asking what the clicking noise is from your indicator. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes, well, is it a recording? What is it? Um, well, if it's an older car, it's, it's actually listening to a mechanical relay going click, click behind the dashboard, but these days it's a speaker. Sometimes these... in the fuse box, but often in the back of the instrument panel. These days it's a what? A speaker. A speaker? Only speaker. So yeah. it is actually a fake noise? But it's these days, and days gone by, it was oh. a mechanical noise from the relay. I was, my tongue was slightly in my cheek when I said that, but it, but it is actually, you might as well just have a little tape recorder playing it. Well, in principle, you can have any noise you like, but I mean, uh, I think because it's a familiar noise, that click, which you used to hear in there. Andy, the line's not great, we're going to let you go, but we got the point across. It used to be a relay in days gone by, um, and now it's a recording. How strange is that? <laughs> Now, here we go, we've been talking about this all morning. Sales of mobility scooters in Luton have gone up this year, including, apparently, sales to the able-bodied. Uh, we had a, a tweet, by the way, we were asking, should um, people y- use scoot- uh, these mobility scooters if they're not, if they've just been a bit lazy? Um, and uh, GlitterKitty70 has tweeted, no, they should get off and walk if they're not disabled. This would also stop obesity. Two birds, one stone. Well, there, there could be a point in that. Well, uh, Balba Chahal runs Smart Mobility in the town. He says sales seem to go up every year. But he told three counties he's now getting inquiries from people who are not disabled. Able-bodied people are looking. You do get certain people that will buy a mobility scooter because they can see that they don't have to pay any road tax. It costs pennies to charge. Um, there's really no legislation that's stopping them from doing it, and some of them have a 35-mile range. So, you know, we have got a, a chap that bought one um, in the city of London, and he uses it to commute to work and back because it doesn't cost him any road tax, he doesn't pay any congestion fee, and he doesn't pay anything to park it. Well, is there anything wrong with more mobility sc- scooters on the streets? Mick Dillon joins us from the Disability Resource Centre in Dunstable. Morning, Mick. Morning. Oh, I, I tell you what, that would, let's try that again. Morning, Morning Mick. There we Morning. go. Uh, you've come in on your scooter... Well, a powered wheelchair. The yeah, powered, yeah. powered wheelchair. What's the, what's the difference? Well, about four grand. Oh, really? So. <laughs> I like the power. My mum's got a powered wheelchair. Uh, and uh, one of my great pleasures is getting my two-and-a-half-year-old boy, every time I say we're going to go and see Nanny Linda, can I drive her wheelchair? 
Of course you can. It's, it's, it's a great sight. Him sitting on her lap, doing the control. We said it very, very slowly, just in case. Sure. He, she's, he's actually a better driver uh, than she is. What do you make of, of the, um, the, the thing we've been reporting today, that there are some, and I've seen it, some able-bodied people buying scooters to get around well the first thing there's no law against it yeah to be fair and uh, if you think of scooters as a mobility aid for anybody mm. uh, potentially that's what we're talking of then first of all the question is why not uh, i think the big picture is how people get hold of them mm. you know and that anyone with a disability or older person and our biggest user group in the resource center is older people 75 to 85 and how scooters over the last 10 15 years have transformed people's independence mm. to be able to come and go and do what they want some people can use a scooter to go a mile or two to the shops and then they can park the scooter and a bit like Lazarus, get up and walk around if you like, but actually the scooter allows them to be able to manage their condition or their needs and they can all carry heavy shopping back. So everyone's individual, everyone has different solutions and the fact that a number of non-disabled people are seeing loopholes that's where humans are very creative aren't they in how to get around things and if it's road tax and uh, cost of fuel then that's just human nature how much does a scooter cost these days uh well it depends on the type um there are class two and class three the big ones and the small ones <clears throat> excuse me and basically um you really for a brand new one it could be 1500 2000 pound maximum give or take if you want all the extras and you want to up- upgrade the engine and all the uh, uh, can, can you upgrade it can um, you like soup it up a little bit well we have a couple of old boys come in and they want bigger batteries to put <laughs> a bit more speed of course so, they uh, do uh, pimp the ride is it i think really it's a phrase isn't it? you know and and put some uh, posh rims on and really actually they personalize them to be fair yeah uh, and uh, for a lot of people uh, on scooters it's an in- integral part of them it's an extension of them mm. so my powered wheelchair to use full-time mm. gives me choice and independence allows me to work full-time pay taxes Hang mm. on, this is going the wrong way. Hang on a second. Yeah, exactly. You should be sponging off the Ex- state. I know, I know. We've discussed this loads of times, you know. But in all seriousness, it's a mobility aid. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people see sometimes the wheelchair or the scooter first before the person. Yeah. Uh, and actually, you know, everyone is, has aspirations and needs. And it's just uh, a, a solution people use rather than being judged. And, you know, if you think the Paralympics, and we've done loads and loads of work in the yeah. last few weeks with, with this radio station and the Paralympics, how people's hopefully perception of disabled people and disability or disability is hopefully changing. But people still see the wheelchair or the assistance of the guide dog yeah. and make assumptions. We've got to overcome that. I've just going off on a very slight tangent. I've been out with my mum so many times in shop. She's in a wheelchair. Uh, and we, I remember going to an optician's to get some glasses for her. And the woman said to me, so what type of glasses does she want? She's, she's here. And I said, you, what, you can ask her. And I walked off and left mum there and let her deal with it. It's that classic thing, does he take sugar? Does he take sugar? Well, it's that. if you ask him, you'll find out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, d- 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 you must have seen, though, people riding these mobility scooters that, let's be honest, they're not up to the job. We've seen old boys going down main <laughs> roads with them at three miles an hour. We've seen people bo- knock, knocking into to walls and things. <laughs> there, should there be some kind of test... Uh, I, I think the answer is yes. I mean, mm. wherever you look to purchase your scooters from, and I'll do the advert for the Resource Centre in a minute because mm. we sell all equipment now, uh, basically you should have a, a proper assessment, a test, to make sure you're getting the right product. An example is there are three-wheel scooters and there are four-wheel scooters. Mm. Now, four-wheel is more stable, but they're bigger, and some of them don't break down into small components to put in the boot. Some are rigid, fixed. Yeah. So there's lots of decisions about spending even a couple of thousand pound. Now, the less scrupulous... Uh, uh, shops that, that do exist, I'm afraid, may charge £4,000 for a scooter. Mm. And that's really unnecessary and excessive. Uh, and it's talked to the resource centre about where best to get your products and business pieces. But 
there should be some form of assessment to mm. make sure you're buying the right product. You should have cognitive ability so you don't run people over. I will say they have two speeds, f- full steam ahead and dead, dead stop. Mm. And if you're ever in one of the well-known shopping centres locally, you know, you, you'll see hundreds of people going one way and a scooter just clearing people. <laughs> I've seen it. Like Moses, you know, m- making, making way. Uh, Mick, listen, we're running out of time. You've got 20 seconds to do the advert now. Uh, resource Centre down at uh, Pointers Road in Dunstable. Uh, all disability needs and requirements, uh, information and advice. 6,000 people a year access our services locally, Bedfordshire, uh, Luton, uh, Northamptonshire as well have centres. And if you want to buy your, your uh, equipment products for Christmas, which is a really important gift to give to people, mm. then come down to the Resource Centre at Pointers Road. Can you can you do me a nice discount on a scooter? Well, I think what we will do, uh, and we've done this before, but we're going yeah. to do it differently, is get you down to yeah. the Resource Centre, and we're going to do a scooter challenge. I'm totally there. It's like, like a race, you uh, mean? Of course. Yes, sweet, fantastic. Mick Dillon from the Disability Resource Centre in Dunstable. Thank you very much, Mick. There'll be plenty more coming up on the show, including a vocal harmony group singing some Beach Boys songs. Wonderful. Before that, here's the news and sports with Catherine Boyle. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Ah, now the 70s album show with Barry Hyde uh, on Sunday the 30th of September between uh, 3 and 4. He's got joined by John Lees, founder member of the band Barclay James Harvest. Wow, that's cool. Uh, so you can join Barry on the 70s album show for a Barclay James Harvest special with John Lees this Sunday, 3pm, on BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the last 30 minutes of the show before uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Greg Rutherford, the Beach Boys, not the Beach Boys themselves, just in case you're thinking, oh, no, sorry. Uh, And uh, Olympic items up for sale. Before that, though, someone has texted in. I I said on there, I have very long arms. I do have ridiculous long monkey arms. Ian, shirts with cufflinks are the answer. You get the extra length in the sleeve. Doesn't always work, I'm afraid. Doesn't always work for me. My arms are that long. Now, do you fancy owning a bed that Bradley Wiggins slept in during the London 2012 Games? Or maybe buying some of Jessica Ennis's kit that she wore at training? Well, guess what? You can! Two separate companies are selling off the leftovers from the Olympic Games online. Everything from the furniture that kitted out the athletes' rooms to the sports kit that was used by Jessica Ennis. Well, we're joined now by Todd Brunel, who is director of in- the, uh, the director of Innovative Sports Group, one of the companies selling Olympics memorabilia. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. How, How you? did you get hold of this stuff? Did you just kind of sneak in after they'd all gone and nick it? Not at all. We've actually been doing this since before the games. Um, we had a we uh, we've been the licensee uh, running the official online auction for London 2012 uh, before the games, during and after. We just happened to be, uh, you know, have a lot of things that are left from the games, and and we've sold thousands of items to the auction, and there's thousands to go. We'll be going through the holidays. What's the weirdest thing you've got? Wow. I got an email today that we're getting some duvet covers from the Athletes' Village. So I think that, Who's going to want to buy the duvets from the Athletes' wow. Village? Anybody who loves Jess Gannis and Bradley Wiggins, I guess. Uh, yeah. Je- Jessica Ennis' training kit is up for sale. Has it been washed? No, actually what we have is the shoes, and they haven't okay. been washed. And that's what's so special about them. They've got little tears in them, and she used them in training. So they're exciting items. Okay, how much would uh, would Jessica Ennis's shoes go for? Do you think what's what's well, kind of the, the asking price? Everything start, starts at a pound. Every single item that we put wow. up for auction starts at a pound, so anybody can get involved. And we've seen items go from fifty pounds to twenty thousand pounds. So, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! Calm down, fella. What went yeah. for twenty thousand pounds? 
Well, uh, we've had uh, mascots from the uh, the mascot parade in London, those full-size mascots that you saw yeah. throughout the city. Uh, one of them was gone for uh, upwards of 20,000 pounds, and we've had numerous things, uh, 10,000 pounds plus, including, uh, including some torches uh, signed by some of the various uh, gold medalists that we've been working with. But what's important to note is thousands of items ranging in price from you know 50 pounds to, to, to 20,000 pounds, many things that you can get involved in trying to, to win. Todd, is there one thing where you've been sat in the office and you've got an email and you, you've gone, I cannot believe we're going to be able to sell this. What, what's, what's the best thing that you think you've got, the thing you're most excited about personally? Well, right now, we just developed a piece highlighting uh, the 11 track cyclist uh, gold medals. I mean, they absolutely dominate on the track in the velodrome, and so I'm pretty proud about the piece that we're actually launching right now. If you go to the site, you'll actually see it up for bid. It's got every single gold medalist signing this piece. It's 11 of them. There's going to be 212. And what we do is we auction off the special numbers. Number one's up for bid right now, yep. and that's quite compelling because of uh, you know the historical uh, achievements that they had on the track at the velodrome. Uh, wh- where do people go if they want to buy this stuff? They go to london2012.com forward slash auction. And like I said, there's thousands of items still to go. Um, all the gold medalists that we're working with, Jess Gannis or Chris Hoy, Bradley Wiggins, Laura Trott, Jason Kenny, uh, lots and lots of gold medals and lots of items up for bid through the holidays. Todd, have you got anything from um, the, the Milton Keynes gold medalist Greg Rutherford up for sale? You know what? I actually uh, got an email from his agent recently, and I'm, I'm going to make a call there and get something hooked up. Because okay. I think that, uh, you know, that was a great story. That was the night that Greg won, uh, Mo Farah won, and Jess Gannis won on, on Super Saturday. So I think we need to do something there. Todd, he's on next, so I'll have a word with him, see if we can get something off him. Todd Brunel, Director of Innovative Sports Group. If you want to buy a piece of sporting history, then that's definitely the place to go. And as you said, yes, he's going to be on the show. Look, the bunting is out in the Buckinghamshire town of Woburn Sands for a massive Greg Rutherford-shaped celebration. Hundreds of people will be lining the streets, waving their flags as Greg parades around on an open-top vintage bus. Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, is with the man himself. Justin, you're there with Greg, are you? I am. I'm here with the ginger wizard. Greg, welcome to the programme. What can we have from you? What about this top? Anything that we can have, (laughs) memorabilia-wise? Having the top right now, it's absolutely freezing out here. Um, I'll have to get something sorted. Mm. It's the first time I've heard about it, so I'll, uh, I'll I'll get that done soon. Terrific stuff. Um, obviously today, a huge celebration. You must be very, very excited about that. Absolutely, yeah. It all feels a bit strange, to be honest. I'm, I'm not really used to something of, of this magnitude for me, so I'm... Uh yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I'm slightly embarrassed as well. So it's a weird one, because the Olympics were a while ago now, so I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yesterday I went to the supermarket to buy myself a loaf of bread, as you do, everyday things. You can't do that anymore, can you? Uh, no, nah, it's changed a little bit, yeah. It's, um, I mean, well, you can do it. It's just you have to be prepared to, to wait an extra hour on top of it, because you have to chat to everybody and photographs and everything else. I mean, but it's absolutely lovely. It's, it's so nice to be sort of, sort of asked for these sorts of things. It's something I'm not used to, but it's... It's a lot of fun, it really is, and everybody's so nice and polite to you, so it's, it's not a bad thing. We spoke to the mayor earlier on, and uh, Ian can back me up on this. Uh, behind us here, we've got some bricks in the grass here, 8.31 metres, which of course what you jumped to, to win gold at the Olympics. Looking at that right now, that just looks incredible. You are a superhuman, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know, a superhuman. No, it's such a strange thing as well, because when you, when you see it in a stadium, it never looks as big as, as when it's sort of just out, out and about. Uh, so it's... Um, well, we've, we seem to have lost. We'll, we'll, we'll keep working. If the production team have a little words, if we can get Justin uh, and Greg there. But the, 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 the signal was obviously fading uh, ever so slightly. Maybe they need to go and stand by a window. 
You, see, you still see people do that, don't you, with mobile phones, kind of like waving it around, trying to get the, the signal. I've just changed network, and I'm, oh boy, oh boy, am I struggling to get a signal with the new network. I shan't say what it is, but uh, you never know. You never know. Let's have a quick look at the front pages of the newspapers, shall we, Before while we try and get Justin and Greg back to talk about the uh, celebrations that's happening. The front page of the Times. The Times do this thing. They've got one of their fake kind of covers, and it's, it's, it's Pete Townsend on the, the front page there in Mooney, but if you, if you go inside and look at the real cover, uh, it's Action on Child Sex Gangs, National Forum to Combat Grooming Networks, and worse than war, Inside the City of Death. Uh, that's a story from Syria. The Independent Meet the Acid Generation LSD Confessions of the Great and the Good Oh my goodness gracious me, they're all coming out now saying they did it. Also, fresh blow for Eurozone as Greece seeks more help. A Greek government official signalled yesterday that Athens would request more European help to reduce its debt. I think the help they're asking for is they want to slow things down a little bit. Um, And uh, John Terry, captain, leader, legend, racist. That's the front page of The Independent after he was found guilty in the FA Tribunal. The Daily Telegraph. Teachers suspected of abuse given anonymity. Fears new law would keep runaway case secret. Um... This isn't specifically about the uh, the teacher and the 15-year-old girl that had run away, um, but it, it, it kind of alludes to it. Found after 23 years, the postbox that time forgot. Postman failed to cut letters from a postbox at one of the country's busiest railway stations for 23 years. Oh, look at that. Fantastic. That's, a, that's the kind of story that I dig. Uh, the Guardian. Afghan schools built by British forces to close, and we would be ruthless on spending, says Balls. I, I can't take any minister, seriously, whose name is Balls. You just can't do it, really, can you? Uh, what else have we got? The, the Daily Mail and the Daily Express really are at their, their, their fear-mongering best today. They're both terrifying stories. The Daily Mail. Dementia risk from sleeping tablets. And the Daily Express. Cancer risk in a portion of chips. Experts warn of danger in pre-cooked frozen foods. Come on. It's a packet of chips. I'm having chips for my supper tonight, I've decided. Proper chip shop chips. The fat ones. Uh, The Sun. There's a picture of Mylene Class in her pants. And I saw Meghan in Paris. Brit sighting of girl and teacher. A British tourist told last night how she spotted runaway Meghan Stammers in Paris. And the Daily Mirror. It's this Justin Lee Collins story. Um, And the the papers have chosen to pick rather an inappropriate picture, I think, of the young lady that's involved in that story. I don't think that's particularly helping um, anybody's situation, really. Uh, And mum is in pieces, come home. Meghan Stammers' stepdad last night begged her, come home, your mum is in pieces. Uh, And the Times has got... um, a lovely little section, a great interview with Pete Townsend from The Who. So it's definitely worth uh, having a little look at that if you are uh, of a, f- a fan of The Who. I think we can go back to Justin now, who's uh, with Greg Rutherford. Justin, are you there? I, I am indeed. Apologies, sir, we lost you for a little bit. It's not a problem. You see, the problem is now that Greg is now <laughs> signing lots of autographs. Yeah. Uh, he's with us. So, um, Greg, welcome back to the programme. Sorry about Thank what you. happened there. We, we were just saying it's been an incredible last few weeks for you. Uh, you're looking forward to, to the celebration this afternoon here in Woburn Sands. You are from Woburn Sands. We're living here, but of course your roots are in Milton Keynes. A bit sad that it's not in Milton Keynes for you? Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, ag- again, this, f- for me, I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed by the whole thing, and so it's, uh, I mean, Woburn Sands done an f- absolutely fantastic job and, and, and jumped on board straight away once we knew it wouldn't happen in Milton Keynes, and, and it's something that I've just embraced and gone along with. I mean, I, again, the way it seems in Milton Keynes, it wasn't going to work, so, uh, again, I, there's no hard feelings or anything. It's, I'm just going to enjoy today, yeah. and 
and have a good one, I think. Starts at 4.30 this afternoon, thousands are expected. Ian, how long have we got left? You've got, to, you've got long enough to do a jump, Justin. <laughs> I'm not letting you get away with this. I know you did that, you okay. staged that little breakdown so you get out of it. Do the long have jump. Have we got a minute? Have we got a minute to play with? You, yes, you've got a minute. It's okay, yours. Okay, well, earlier on I tried it, and I tried it properly. I was judged by Paul and Eddie. Have a listen to this. Three metres, I'm saying. Three metres. Yeah. So did he beat the mayor? <laughs> <laughs> Can you score me out of ten and be honest? Run up was a bit yeah. poor, but yeah. you got the crowd going. Yeah. Um, so I'll give it a solid six. Okay, and yourself? Uh, as you didn't do the Rutherford clap, that you got the crowd going, I'm going to give you a two. And uh, my trousers, can you describe those to our listeners? Very baggy, very big, very airy, it looks like, but it looks like you can get a lot of distance with them if you actually try. Star wise, <laughs> not an Olympian. <laughs> There you go, Paul and Eddie from earlier on. I was taking it seriously earlier on. I put um, the trousers on, the trainers, right. Okay, Greg, can you hold the microphone and commentate? I'm about to try and outdo you 8.31 metres, okay? <laughs> wouldn't it be great if he did it? This okay. is very exciting. Talk to it. it wouldn't be great if he did you it because then I'd lose my job. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, let's see. What, what can you see? Where is Justin? What's he doing now? He's running over now towards. He's, he's, uh, he's going up to the, the bit more marked out on the green where we are at the moment so he's, he's about to take a run up he's has he got the crowd going because you were brilliant well, at getting the crowd now, yeah. on your side. here we go right so we've got the cars going past I'm sure there's people clapping within the cars I'm sure um, there are there must there's be there's not many other people around to be honest <laughs> alright he's running up now it's, here we go good speed oh no, not bad <laughs> nice uh, uh, nice high lift there's Oh, I think he's damaged oh. the uh, the bricks as well. <laughs> has, he bro- has he broken your display? Oh. I, think he's, I think the whole thing's got, got a pot now. I he's love the way it. you said, nice try, whilst laughing. <laughs> Can I just say, that was 8.30. Oh, <laughs> <shut up. laughs> it was close. Yeah. Justin, be honest, how far did you go? Uh, whew, just over five and a half metres. And the thing is, we've got Greg here with us right now. Greg, you can't really say no, you're live on the radio. Uh, Ian and I have got very similar builds. If we were to turn up here next week or the week after, when you've got some free time... Would you uh, judge the pair of us together? Of course I would, yeah. I'd be... Uh, I love it. I'd be more than so I'd love to. Greg, I look, forward to, I look forward to meeting you, and Justin, I look forward to crushing you into the <laughs> ground. <laughs> Enjoy your day, Greg. Have a great day. Will do, and thank you very much. Thank you, mate. Cheers. And thank you, Justin. Speak to you later. Thank you. There we go. Right, that was fun. Poor old Justin. He'll do anything, won't he? Good morning. It's 8.46. It's Friday the 28th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Bedfordshire is set to lose over 100 police officers and 56 police community support officers over the next four years as part of cost-cutting measures. Pregnant women are being uh, offered vaccinations against whooping cough amid the biggest outbreak of the illness for two decades. And in sport, England began the Super 8 stage of the World 2020 with a 15-run defeat to West Indies. Today's weather for beds, hearts and bucks. We're in for some patchy light rain around mid-morning. It will get brighter. Top temperature is 16 degrees. And coming up, yesterday I said I wanted a barbershop quartet to come into the studio to sing a Beach Boys song. Man alive, I've got a barbershop quartet to come into the studio to sing a Beach Boys song. BBC Three Counties Radio. Don't forget, Jonathan Vernon Smith is on at nine o'clock. I'll be honest, he'll be spouting nonsense. He got me properly angry this morning. Should kids be allowed to travel on trains and aeroplanes? Of course they should. Talking about policing, Stephen is in Hitching. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. What do you make about all these cuts that are going to happen? Um, I I think it's it's part of a a wider sort of system reform, really, isn't it? So I think if you take it out of context, yes, everybody can personalise it and, and sort of have a big impact on local services. Um, however, when you look at the context and the correlation, the direct correlation between the amount of police you have and the tax that you pay, you know, perhaps it's time to start asking questions about that and where that money is going. 
How is how is getting rid of a hundred police officers and fifty six PCSOs taking it out of context? That's not that is the context. I, I think it is it, it, it's out of a wider context, isn't it? So if you take what the police now do compared to what it was designed to do, I think you've got a really different context. I think you know we need to look at what the purpose of the police force is. You know, over years, the, the public have really put a lot of pressure on the police to almost fix every issue. Well, to stop to, crimes, yes. Well, to, not just to stop crime, to, to stop, stop antisocial behaviour, to, to almost replace parenting at times. Well, wait, hang know, on a minute. Uh, who's, who's asked the police to replace parenting? Yes, they should be stopping antisocial behaviour. They're the police. They should, but so shouldn't your parents as well take a bit of a uh, an angle on sort of training you and coaching you as you go through childhood on, on what social... Yeah, of, of course they do, not. and most parents do. A very small minority I don't, but most parents do. Of course they do. I, I, I think if, if that's the perception that you've got, that's the perception that you've got. Well, no, it's, it's a fact. Do. Most Listen, this annoys me. But, 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 there, yes, there are some irresponsible and shoddy parents out there. Of course there are. But most parents love their kids and want their kids to achieve the very best they can. That's a fact. No one has kids and doesn't care for them and doesn't try to bring them up... To to the best of their ability. I, th- I think what you've got is you've got a perception of your world, and as you see it, I think when you look at um, quite a majority of parents in the UK, of course they want the best of their children. Well, of course I they mean, do. It's not perception of the world. That's that's a fact. Um, uh, uh, Stephen, are you a parent? Uh, yes, right. I am. I've got three children. Right. Do you want the best for your kids? Absolutely. Do you know anybody personally who does not want the best for their kids? Um, I know people that have resented having children. Well, then you know but some very shoddy people. Well, not really. If they they're, resent they're having people. Not if they resent having kids, how can they be good people? I think you live in a very idealistic world. No, I live in a real world, Stephen, where no, people you have don't kids. Live in the real world. Of course, you don't I do. Live in the real world Stephen, no, of course, when I don't. you start looking at people when you have start kids. At social issues. Then that's what you're doing, isn't it? You're taking it out of context. No, I'm not. Yeah. No, you keep talking about context, yeah, you Stephen. You're, you're talking you absolute tosh, to be honest. People, no, so you, know, you aren't you? You, pe- you know people, your parents. Oh, good radio. Let's go for it. Sorry. Go good radio. Go for it. No, you're, you're, you got me angry, Stephen, because you know parents. Well, in all fairness, hasn't are you going to listen? Are you going to listen? Are you going to listen to a point or not? Um, go for it. Thank you very much, Stephen. I will go Thank for you. it. Oh no, I can't be bothered. Right. More exciting. I can't be bothered with that, for goodness sake. People don't have... You know, people who've got kids and they resent it? For goodness sakes. Well, then they're not good parents. Most parents have kids because they want kids and because they love their kids and they want the best for them. That's not idealism. That's a fact. Anyway, welcome, boys. <laughs> you regret coming in now, don't you? Uh, we are joined by the Penny Arcade, who are a vocal uh, quartet harmony group. What's the correct description for you, chaps? Yeah, vocal quartet. Vocal works. quartet. Okay. I've got to be honest. I was expecting a lot of old men with moustaches coming in. That's you're, what most people expect. You're all. If you could come a little bit closer to the microphones, don't be, don't be shy of the microphones. You're all quite young. What, how old are you? Nineteen and twenty. Yeah, we're all 19, Charlie's 20. Oh, who, which one's Charlie? Oh, old man, Charlie. Yeah. I was 19 years old once, can you believe that? You'll be 39 one day and looking back <laughs> and, and feeling sad. So, uh, how did you all get together? What's, what, what's the story behind the group? Well, uh, I went to school with Daniel and we all met through singing, we are all choral singers and uh, we thought it'd be quite fun to get together and do some sort of more poppy numbers. Yeah. So we uh, thought we'd go and do a Christmas carols gig. And who should walk in the door but some record people? Well, yeah. no, hang on a minute, that, that, that doesn't happen. So no, you, you see, it, that's what we thought. That's exactly what we thought. But uh, turns out it does happen. Really? Um, well, it happens to be the pub down the road from all these offices of uh, Mercury Fantastic. Records. Fantastic. And they all just sort of walked in and they went, "These guys are great." We're, um, we're led to believe the barmaid tipped tip them off. <laughs> yeah. Told them, told them they ought to come along. 
But, uh, True was, or not, it makes it, a good, it's a good story, isn't it? So, so re- you're, you're doing a gig in a pub, a record company exec comes in and says, you guys are going to make a million dollars. Is it that kind of deal? Well, yeah. yeah. And we, it, was, it was completely unbelievable. We, we thought it was crazy. We thought... Great. Well, well, we'll take. We thought we'll take this for what it's worth. We'll get a few lunches. We'll get. We'll get some, <laughs> some, some, some nights on the, not quite on the town, but you know, a couple of a couple of drinks in the pub, yeah. and um, and then it, it just kept going and going and going, and then all of a sudden there was a contract in, in front of us to sign. You know. Wow. So, and is it like a million pound contract? Do, you, do those things exist? No, they, they, you don't. You don't talk money. It's very uncouth. Whoa! Hey, listen, but I'm I'm uncouth. Are you millionaires? No, not at all. No. Oh. We're all students. We were all students before this happened. So at the moment, we're just sort of just about out of our overdraft. I think. No, no, no. <laughs> not even out of our. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what kind of stuff do you do you normally do? Do, do you normally sing? Well, we started singing some barbershop songs and we got into some of our favourite pop songs. Mm. And then we just, we have the whole of sort of, we co- do loads of covers. We have the whole of uh, the last 50 years of music to choose from. So we just choose all our favourite songs. Wow. And, and you've, got, you, you've got a record coming out, is yeah. that happening? Yeah, November the 19th, we've got our album coming out. Um, so we don't know what it's called yet, actually. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, we're yeah, a fairly, we fairly, dis- fairly distinctive band name, we reckon. Penny Arcade Quartet. So, um... Yeah, I mean, there was a band in the sixties called the Penny Arcade. You know that, don't you? Ah, but with Penny Arcade called Excellent. Well done, you. Now listen, I'm very excited. I'm going to go and see the Beach Boys tonight. But they're more, well, my third favourite group in the entire world, and you have agreed to come in and sing a Beach Boys song for yeah. us. Do you, do, take it away. Do you want to stand up? How do you yeah, want to do this, chaps? Yeah, it's okay. very, very exciting. Let's do it. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's the Penny Arcade yeah. Quartet singing a Beach Boys song for us. One, two. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Hang on, guys, come on. Here we go. Okay. This is Surfing USA. Oh, wonderful. One, two, oh, one. If everybody had an ocean across the USA, then everybody be surfing like California. You see them wearing their baggies, Harachi sandals too. A bushy, bushy, blonde head Surfing USA You catch him surfing at Del Inside, outside, County Inside, outside, USA Santa Cruz and Trestle Inside, All over Manhattan Inside, outside, Oh, everybody's gone surfing Surfing USA we planning out a route. We're gonna take real soon. We're waxing down our surf. We can't wait for June. We'll all be gone for the summer. We're on safari to stay. Tell the teacher we're surfing, surfing USA. At Haggerty's and Surfing USA. Oh, everybody's gone surfing. Say what? Surfing USA. Yo, fantastic, boys. That was superb.
I'll be honest, when I saw you come in, I thought, hmm, these young lads, this is going to be a little <laughs> bit... Uh, right. That was fantastic. The Penny Arcade Quartet. Have you got a website or something that people can go to and have a look We've at? We've got a Facebook. Yeah, Penny check Arcade out. Quartet and Twitter, stuff like that. I wish... Th- when's the album coming out that you don't know what it's called? 19th November. Listen, we, we, maybe we'll get you back nearer the time as well to come out. Great. So that was we'll fantastic. Thank you very much, chaps. Thanks very much. I've got well, time for one more quick call before the show ends. Let's go to Judy and Leegrave. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, and how are you? I'm, I'm over the moon now we've had that. That was wonderful, wasn't it? Was it was absolutely Weren't brilliant. they good? They were excellent. The Beach Boys themselves would literally struggle to sound like that these days, I oh, tell you, but that was fantastic. Yes, yeah. Judy, what have you got for us? Uh, right, I'm going to take you see with something you said just yes. before they came on. Yes. And that was to do with, uh, if you don't want children, what was it? You, can you repeat your statement? Well, no, what did you take issue with? What did you think you well, heard? Judy. What I think I heard was that uh, you couldn't possibly resent having children. Right. Uh, and it was tosh to say that you would resent it. If you I, said to the, I said to the gentleman that, 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 that he, he referred that he knew some parents who resented their children. I said they were bad parents then. Right. Um, in that case, I probably misheard it slightly. I Thank think you. you. People said, often do. <laughs> not difficult, is it, when you just sort of catch something? No, exactly. But I... I thoroughly resented having my first child. Why? It's very brave of you to admit that, Judy. Why? Because uh, my husband and I um, were not prepared to have a child at that time. It was um, a contraceptive accident. And um, we'd only been married a year. We hadn't got any... We were living in in a very tiny flat. And um, it was not the right time. So for the first several weeks, I, when I realised I was pregnant, mm. I considered a termination, no. which I certainly didn't go through with, obviously, because I've, I've had my little girl and another one following that. But I really, really resented being pregnant. Judy, at the time. we're running out of time. I'm sorry Ooh. to push you because this is, this is fascinating. I wish you, we'd spoken earlier. When the child was born, did you resent the child then? No. No, I didn't. I just there I we go. wasn't quite. I don't think I bonded with her as much as I no. could have done. I didn't really feel as though I was a mum. Judy, listen, I'm, I'm sure you're a cracking mum now. I'm sorry to move on, because we are running out of time. But thank you very much. Uh, right, that was fascinating, wasn't it? Very honest. Be a little bit keen on the fade of that, because I'm keen to hear the nonsense that Jonathan Vernon Smith is about to spout. Should kids be allowed on trains and aeroplanes? Oh, dear, I'll let him talk about it. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. 